scent of potpourri Films we commit to memory Crossing the felt roads Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can't see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly podcast reviewing one or two new release titles every episode with an occasional free-for-all segment at the end that we call Potpourri. You can find more of our work, including written reviews, uh, full episode show notes, and the complete backlog of our episodes at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also write into the show by emailing me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you'd like to support us and get access to hundreds of exclusive episodes, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, where you can get access to content at any of our tier levels on a recurring monthly subscription basis, or you can buy individual collections a la carte in the Patreon shop section. Uh, This week on Patreon, I released a new Patreon potpourri episode in which I reviewed four movies I watched recently. Uh, This week's edition of that covered The Day the Earth Caught Fire, Panic in Year Zero, Testaments, and uh, The Quiet Earth, which all came from the Criterion Channel's post-apocalyptic sci-fi collection. And also, I'm continuing my Flanagan Friday series, where I'm reviewing uh, Mike Flanagan's work uh, each week. Uh, I'm in uh, the thick of The Haunting of Hill House right now. And then also on Saturdays, I'm doing Sci-Fi Saturday, in which right now I'm currently doing uh, Foundation Season 2. All that's available at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media, including Letterboxd, at Obsessive Viewer, and today on the show, we're doing our annual year-in-review episode where we share our movie-watching stats and top 10 favorite movies from the year. It is a monumental episode that we do every year, and of course, joining me for this are my co-hosts, the OG co-hosts of the podcast that will always be on these episodes. Um, (laughs) It's Tiny, uh, who can can be found on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash obsessivetiny, and Mike, who can be followed on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash White and whose band As Good As It Gets provides the theme music for this podcast and can be found at asgoodasitgetsmusic.com. Tiny and Mike, welcome. How is it going, you guys? Hey. How you doing? Hey, buddy. I'm doing good. Good, good, good. We're excited. This is, this is the one. Yep. We look forward to it. I've been looking forward to this all week. Every single year. I can't. <laughs> like. I felt kind of, not guilty, but I felt a little bit... Uh, weird because I've been doing this whole like going weekly thing, which is going very well. And I'm very excited for the year on the podcast and everything. Um, but like, this was the first year that we've had episodes in the new year before the year in review episode. And that felt like a little bit sacrilegious to me. Oh yeah, that's true. We did last week and it yep. came out before this one. Yep. Um, and I had an episode the week before. <clears throat> But hey, yeah. nonetheless, we had this one scratched into the calendar, I think, in late November. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've been excited for it all along. It, this is the staple. We know this one's coming. And oh, yeah. uh, any of you obsessive viewers out here who who follow along, uh, we hope you're excited for this one, too, because we, we are every time. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, to, to hell with the Super Bowl. This is this is where it's at. This is right. our Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It is movie watching Super Bowl for us. Like, I, well, I mean, people have the Oscars and everything, but like, <laughs> this is our our thing. And like, I'm gonna say, and this is this is getting into the meat of things just uh, for for a bit before we uh, like this is stepping into that. But I do want to say, in terms of the year, uh, 2023. 
Um, for me, it was fine in terms of viewing and everything. I, I don't have any compunctions about it or anything, but I do want to say that we'll get into our viewing stats and everything, but Mike, mm-hmm. 2024, I told you before privately that I'm coming uh-huh. for you. Yeah. And well, heavy lies the head that wears the crown. Uh, <laughs> yes. and this year I do get to wear the belt, mm-hmm. uh, at least until next January for, for most movies watched. Like you said, we'll talk about, yeah. uh, when we get to the actual numbers, but yeah, I was just not satisfied with my 2022 numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you came in guns blazing last January. Yeah. Uh, and so I set some goals for myself and I kind of realized about halfway through the year, I was like, Oh, I, th- I think if I stay the course, uh, I think I'll, I think I'll have the, I'll have the belt this year. Yep. Uh, so pretty excited about that. And yeah. I, I, uh, I'm excited to do battle, I guess. I don't know. It's not a contest. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag uh, not a competition. Uh, if hashtag it, not. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's been hashtag not a competition for three years it now. It really is. <laughs> but here's the thing, Mike. If we were to, if suddenly like time shifted and like right now, like we were suddenly transported to January 15th, 2025. And like mm-hmm. we had to do like our current, like, oh, year in review of 2024. Mm-hmm. I would be talking about the 25 movies I've watched so far in the first two weeks of 2024. <laughs> yeah, it's you're you're going hard. I, I like to uh, not to take credit for it, but I, no. I hope uh, my stats last year kind of lit a fire uh, a, for you a little bit, a little bit. And I will say that a big part of it also is that um, is that we we actually got a a very a very nice donation from from a listener. Shout out to Carol. Um, she, she made a holiday donation and with that, I got a year subscription to Criterion channel. (laughs) And so very cool. I've been watching a ton of Criterion channel stuff, which by the way, not an ad or anything, but if any, like anyone listening is interested in a year long annual Criterion channel subscription right now for new subscribers, they have like a winter sale that's like 20% off. So it's like 80 bucks instead of a hundred. So, um, check that out it's it's really cool and i'm doing a lot of patreon potpourri stuff on that as well for criterion channel stuff so anyway so when you mentioned uh that you that you're coming for my my title my crown uh this (laughs) year i i don't want to like uh disrespect you enough to say that i concede already but i kind of went into (laughs) this year like in toward the end of last year 2023 i was like i'm definitely going to take it a little easier in Mm. 2024 so um i i have a feeling you'll you'll probably take the title unless uh unless you slow down in the summer but uh, yeah we'll see time will tell we have a whole year yet yeah i i agree and it's funny like it's not it's not like it, it ebbs and flows like any time like yeah absolutely last year i like 2022 i had a huge year 2023 not so huge 2024 is shaping up to be really huge so it, it ebbs and flows but anyway <laughs> um how was everyone's year tiny how how was your 2023 in just general terms and then we can get into once we go around we can get into the viewing stats and all that good stuff uh like personally and professionally and everything how was your 2023 uh 2023 was pretty dang good uh i you know changed jobs again actually went back to Mm -hmm. my old company and uh in a different role and it's what i've always wanted to do so i'm really loving it so far it's going great busy but uh it's it's awesome um and then uh, kind of in my, my personal time, I've been uh, really ramping up volunteering a lot. And so I've nice. 
cool. I'm on the my local Lions Club. I'm on the board, and I do a lot of. Uh, I'm the marketing director for the for the club, and that's been really cool. Uh, reaching out to the community and volunteering through that. Um, we I have bundled up in like all my car hearts and volunteered at a food pantry on Saturday morning when it was freezing cold. Um, I've been doing that throughout the year. That's really cool. Um, and then back in October, which uh, when we get to stats, it'll be funny. Uh, I have zero viewings for October, and the reason is because oh, Jesus. I hosted and ran an entire uh, volunteer program mm. at the end of the month that was over 50 volunteers working on 14 different projects around the town. And it was a huge commitment and a really big deal and, and just, just nuts. And so that took up my whole month. Uh, and, but it was just really super cool. We got to help all these people and it was fantastic. So, uh, all that stuff really made the year incredible. Uh, but when we get to the movies, you'll see that that's where <laughs> it took a big hit, uh, which which I will say that's not it's kind of par for the course. It's That's how yeah. I've been trending lately. So um, it's not not a huge deal. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll talk about it. But uh, we well, yeah, still have the all time crown. Yes. Three hundred and sixty whatever. Yeah. You know, one a I day do. in uh, that one year. So, yeah, I do. Uh, you, you, I think you have bragging rights for a decade after that. I think that's the OV rules. <laughs> yep. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to make a crack about, about like, this was not going to come across well or anything, but I was just going to say when you said that you did a lot of volunteer work and didn't watch anything in October, I just wanted to be like, so selfish. Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's awesome. But not at all. That That is incredible. And, uh, and it's awesome that, uh, like, I've told this, I, I think I've communicated this to you uh, at some point, but like, it's just, it's really cool to see you be so involved with the community, uh, like in terms of like the town of Speedway where we both grew up. Um, it's just really cool to see you be so involved with it and everything. Cause, um, cause it's, you know, we, we, we like it there. Thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. I'm really yeah. enjoying it. Cool. Yeah. That is, that's impressive, man. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. So Mike, what kind of volunteer work and, and yeah, resource work My, and everything have I'm you not done? Nearly <laughs> as altruistic, uh, as tiny is, uh, I mean, I, I, I work with the community, uh, but the high school pays me to work with those kids. So I, mm-hmm. <laughs> my students, uh, shout out to them. Hey guys. Uh, yeah, no, I had a great year. 2023 was, was kind of one of the best. If you step back objectively, nice. um, my kids brains are kind of coming online now and they're, they're kind of like cool people now. Nice. I don't, I don't feel like I'm, you know, keeping babies from hurting themselves that i'm actually like talking and hanging out with my kids and nice. playing video games and doing stuff uh over the summer how old we are they the now grand- sorry yeah so my uh older son is seven wow. uh and my younger son is going to be six in march wow That's so awesome. they're little dudes now they're, yeah. they're just fun guys and um yeah, like I said, we went to the Grand Canyon this summer, nice. which is amazing. I had never been. That's kind of like a bucket list item. Uh, we awesome. love that. Like I said, lots of lots of family stuff. Um, we hit my boys and I had uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we played Zelda, uh, Tears of the Kingdom this November. Like they just kind of watched me play it. That was really fun. <laughs> nice. Uh, personally, I my band, my partner Dustin and I, uh, as good as it gets, we put out something like. 
24, 25 songs this year. Uh, we did a full-length album of original songs. We did an EP of acoustic songs, and then we did another uh, short EP of original songs. So a uh, lot of work on music and, and super proud of our output and making art and, and creating things. So yeah, it was, it was a great year. Family stuff, fun stuff, movies, all kinds. It was great. Very cool. Very cool. Um, my twenty twenty three was okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I it's it's just it's been uh like there's been a lot of stuff going on and everything and uh I have high hopes that twenty twenty four will be good. But I did do a lot of podcasting and Patreon stuff over the year, which helped keep things together for me, which is the best I can say about any time of rough any kind of rough patch I have or whatever. I have this. Uh, this avenue to go down to 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 create content, and I really enjoy doing that. So, um, but yeah, overall it was a, it was a good year. Um, I got to see some great movies, and uh, I that's about the most I can think. Of. <laughs> um, uh, work has been something, but uh, it's hopefully going to be improving. My my work life will be improving in 2024, hopefully, fingers crossed, in some capacity. Will, willing it into existence. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, stress levels have been kind of up and down a little bit, but I'm here and it's good. So yeah, so I have high hopes for 2024. I don't I don't have anything specific or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but I am very thrilled though that Mike, you now have cats. That is. Uh, oh yeah. That is so so. I guess that yeah. shows how much I think about animals. That that wasn't in my <laughs> my year recap. Yeah, we did get uh, we did get cats. We we adopted two uh, girls, their sisters, and um, my wife found them on like the somebody somebody was fostering them for a little while for the humane society. And I kind of always said that I would never get cats, uh, and she just kept sending me pictures, and I just. I couldn't figure out what to get her for Christmas, so I just <laughs> decided to go with the cats. That's a joke, of course. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I just I just caved. They looked they looked so cute, uh, and I realized kind of what my my uh, reluctance to get a, a cat or really any animals is. Is I don't love other people's animals all that mm. much. I I'm, I don't like go to your house and like pet your dog. Uh, I don't know what I don't know. I just don't. Um, but we got those cats three or four days before Christmas, nice. uh, and they're just the sweetest things. I love them. Nice. Yeah. I was going to say, they seem like if they were fostered for a while, I would assume that they're pretty well-mannered or they uh, are. Yep. And they've acclimated and they, good. they are sleeping between our legs all the time, Aww. taking up space on the couch. They're adorable. Cute. Tiny. Yeah. Mike, have, you have know, your, sorry, have I, your dog, did your dogs pass away? Or are they gone? So our our older one did a couple mm, years okay. ago. Waldo, the big dog. Waldo, uh, I did. remember Waldo. Okay. Yep. Yep. He died. Oh, twenty twenty one or so. Mm. Um, and that was that was sad. So that was my wife's dog, kind of before we got together. Uh, mm. And my dog, uh, before we got together, Kevin is still he's still going. Old man, still trucking <laughs> along. Nice. He's very lazy, very tired, very grumpy. <laughs> uh, and he just kind of lays around and sleeps all the time. Yeah, he'll be he'll be uh, thirteen this year. Oh wow! Oh yeah, wow. he's 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 an old guy. Nice, nice. Okay. Cool. Um, but what I was gonna say, Tiny, is now it's now it's your turn. You got to get a cat. 
Oh man, I like being alive though. That's well, the yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. I'll, you know, the allergies and whatnot. Yeah. So. Well, that's the thing. So, like, I've got one cat. Mike has two cats. That means Tiny, you need to get three cats. Three cats. Those three yeah. cats will you will you will uh, you know adjust to them. The allergies will uh, <laughs> go away, or <laughs> either the allergies will go away, or you will, um, or I will. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome again to the Obsessive Cat Podcast. Yes. This podcast is yes. brought to you by the Evansville Vandenberg Humane Society. <laughs> uh, send your donations their way and uh, yes. send us pictures of your cats. <laughs> yes. Seriously, you can send pictures of your cats to me <laughs> for sure. Hey, Matt actually wants pictures yeah, of your cats. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, uh, but yeah, for more stuff like this, check out Patreon, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, but do you guys want to get to our stats and get into oh, the let's talk movies? Get into go. the show, yeah. So, uh, what we do, um, this isn't this isn't like a normal year in review top ten list episode. What we do because we are obsessive viewers uh we stat track we go through our watch stats like we go through all of these different things that we have um in years past we have done that manually um and then the advent of letterboxd came came about and that has been a lifesaver and time saver we cannot be more thrilled that letterboxd exists uh so we definitely recommend everyone listening to get a letterboxd account and uh and follow us not for a sure. sponsor but nope. if letterboxd is interested we are um we are heavy letterboxd users yes absolutely yes, we are yes again matt at obsessiveviewer.com all anything can go there uh-huh. um but yeah but no it's uh yeah letterboxd is amazing and we use that to stat to track our stats we're we're all I think you guys are pro members and I'm a patron member, which is the higher tier one, not to flex, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, but it's, that comes with stats and everything. So it's a lot of fun to go through them. And that's what we're going to be doing tonight before we get into our top tens. Um, yeah, so let's get rolling on our, on our viewing stats for the year 2023. Um, we're going to go kind of round robin. Uh, we're going to start with Mike, then Tiny, and then I'll give my stats. Uh, Mike, do you want to throw us your numbers for your viewing stats for 2023 and share with us how, how it went in terms of movie watching? I absolutely will. Thank you. Uh, and... Uh, I will brag a little bit because that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, I I I won the belt. I won the crown this year. Uh, I watched the most. Last year, I watched 123 movies, uh, and I was kind of disappointed with that. That is, I don't know that that's an extremely low number for me. Mm -hmm. I've had some low years, especially the first couple of years I had kids. Uh, But then I was able to kind of get back up. So to only do 123 in 2022 uh, was unusual. So I kind of made a goal for myself. I said monthly, uh, I I wanted to watch 200 for the year. And so I said monthly, I want to make sure I watch 15 movies per month. uh, And I exceeded that pretty easily. So my total viewings for the year was 238 viewings. Uh, That's 149 first viewings. So 62% of the movies that I watched were first viewings. Uh, Rewatches then were 89, so that's 38%. Uh, In the theater, I saw 53 
movies or 53 viewings i should say so that's mm-hmm. uh more than one per week uh and i didn't i didn't see a lot of movies on repeat we see something new most of the time uh but i did see scream 2 twice nice uh for 2020 i love that you call it scream 2 <laughs> scream <laughs> scream i saw scream 20 21 20. <laughs> part 2 yeah 22 tw- 22 part 2 <laughs> yeah 22 part 2 yeah <laughs> Uh, no, Scream 6. Sorry, mm-hmm. two times. Uh, and then 23, 2023 releases were uh, 67 new 2023 releases, which is 28%. Uh, and so that's 433.9 hours viewing movies this year. That's Damn. amazing. Well done. Well Thank done. Nicely feel, done. Feel good about it. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nicely done. As you should. And, awesome. it, and it never felt... Um, I never felt particularly bogged down by it. There were I I did set out in October to watch one every day, which I haven't in a while. Usually it's like as long as I hit 31, I'm okay with that. Uh but I wanted to watch one a day. And there were a couple there were a couple days that got a little hairy, uh but I but I was able to do it. So other than that, it was it was pretty easy. Nice. Well done. Sweet. Thank you. Um, and how is movie night going in in general? Like, is it any like standouts for the year or of, in terms of? Yeah, I'll of, talk about those. And yeah. do, do we want to do memorable? Oh yeah, we now? can we can do that later. Yeah, we'll okay. we'll do that later. So I'll Sorry. save that. Yeah, movie night is still going strong. Uh, obviously, COVID was a hiccup, but mm-hmm. other than that, we we never miss. Uh, still great movies have been pretty great. Uh, I'm interested to see. I remember in 2012 ish, uh, which was kind of like four years after that big writers' strike, mm-hmm. uh, we had some you know, not great movies for a little while. And we, we wondered how bad. So I'm, I'm curious to see the writer's strike that we just went through. If there's what, what the fallout of that is going to look like the next couple of years. Yeah. That's a good um, point. I will say 2024 is not the most excited I've ever been for movies. <laughs> yeah. I think we, you know, some big <laughs> stuff obviously has been moved out of the year. Um, so, so we'll see. But other than that, yeah. Movie night has, has been great. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah uh tiny do you want to hit us with your uh viewing stats for 2023 yeah yeah it's going to be a little culture shock for the listeners because it's like almost the exact opposite of mike's so <laughs> it's kind of perfect um so in 2022 i had 96 uh 96 total viewings and i wanted to crack 100 that was my goal mm-hmm. and i failed because i got to uh 82 viewings for 2023 so 14 less um yeah, not ideal. I'm not happy with it, but uh, again, it's uh, you know I wanted to talk or one thing I could sort of hinted at in in the kind of introduction is that you know that number decreasing is balanced out by other things, other parts of my life really ramping up, and those yeah, other parts well, of my you're life a are awesome. Good person so. is the difference. <laughs> yeah. You're well, a good person, and we just want to stay home and watch movies. So <laughs> you know. Well, thank you for that. But you, I think you're you, building a different case for yourself. <laughs> you, you spend 50 hours a week teaching teaching teenagers, which is the most magnanimous oh, thing there is in my opinion. Well, so. thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, and I am so here yeah. just making Patreon content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt, you've. I mean, I know you're going to talk about it later, but you shared with us some of your statistics for podcasting and oh, writing yeah. reviews and your all your IFJA stuff. I mean, that's it's ridiculous. Talk about building a portfolio that's incredible what you do every year so well thank you Um, thank you it's uh, yeah uh yeah yeah it is very 
it is very much self-involved on my part because <laughs> I love doing it. But uh, but no, but no, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, but you you keep this going for us too because this yeah. is an outlet for Mike and I as well. So that's and other people. So yeah, it's awesome. Course. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, eighty-two for the year. Not great. Not not thrilled with it. But um, uh, you know, it's it's more than a movie a week. I mean, I guess I, I can't yeah. keep throwing these caveats in there when these these numbers are so low. But uh, first viewings, I had thirty-eight. Uh, rewatches were was forty-four. Um, I actually ended up seeing eight movies in the theater, which is not bad. I don't know if that's. I think that's fewer than last year. Uh, I'm not sure, but um. Yeah, eight's eight's actually not bad given how like how many stretches I had where I watched nothing. So um yeah, there was uh there was a stretch. Uh so October I had no movies and September I had one, <laughs> June I had two, I think March I had two or three. So I mean it was just just long stretches of nothing and uh yeah, it's it, it was it was a goofy year, but um 181.7 hours was the total viewing time for the year. So, you know, uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is, but I, I still saw some great stuff and I, I, I struggled, uh, at the beginning of the beginning of the end of the year. So like kind of December, I was like, man, I, my top 10 is pitiful. And <laughs> I had a bit of a push in December and, uh, mm-hmm. I saw some great movies. I'm happy with my top 10. So at least there's that. Yeah. I love looking at your stats page because you can see like, uh, you can see like the last week is like the the biggest week that you had, which we'll talk oh, about yeah. in doing the push and all that. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. So it's very good. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. So you had uh eighty two movie eighty two viewings. That's good. And like yeah, um, eight theater viewings. That's that's impressive too, given the amount of like like how how much time you didn't have to allocate to movies. You had mm-hmm. enough time to allocate to eight theater viewings which is which is pretty impressive i think that's more than the average american i think so too oh yeah right right yeah uh so yeah so did you give your all your stats or any others i wasn't sure are we doing uh like like you know views per month week biggest day all that stuff oh no we'll do that that here in a bit yeah okay so i think that's it for yeah those are my main my main stats for the year okay cool well i will give you guys mine um so i had uh i 2022 i had a pretty big year 339 movies uh watched 339 viewings i was pleased with that in 2022 and then in 2023 i kind of i guess took like a little bit of uh not sabbatical, but like, I just didn't, I didn't focus too much on movie watching. So I ended up with 184 viewings total, uh, which is a 45.72% decrease from 2022. Um, of those 184, 147 were first viewings, which accounted for 79.9% of the total. Holy cow. Yeah, it is. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, and only what's the percentage again? Uh, 79.9% of my total viewings were first viewings. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and I had, uh, 37 rewatches, um, which accounts for 20.1% of the total viewings. And, uh, that is down from 111 rewatches in 2022. I had, uh, 228, uh, okay, okay, let me let me rephrase the first viewings for comparison. So first viewings in 2023, I had 147, that's 79.9% of my total viewings in 2023. 
Uh, that's compared to 2022, 67.3% of my total viewings in 2022 were first viewings. Um, and then rewatches were 37, like I said, 20.1% of total. Uh, in 2022, it was 32.7% of the total viewings. So, um, it's a little bit, it's a little interesting, I guess, mildly interesting. Um, so, uh, rewatches are not very much a big, uh, a big, um, uh, thing in my life right now, I guess. You know, um, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to cut. Oh, it. no, go you ahead. Know, I'm sorry to cut in on yours. Uh, only oh, no, because- of course. You know, I think my my years, my first viewings and rewatches are a little skewed heavy toward mm-hmm. first viewings, even more so in most years. But uh, this year, I really kind of, uh, well, really since quarantine, I've like made lists of like movies I haven't seen in a while that I need to watch. Yeah. Uh, so if there's not anything immediate, I'm usually pulling from that so my my rewatches have been up this year kind of intentionally so sorry go ahead matt no no no. that's 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 a great point because rewatches by design should be like for for what we do in terms of being obsessive about our viewing and being people who want to see new movies and new releases and be up to date with everything rewatches are like the other are the real comfort food like Taking time to rewatch a movie that you've already seen when you have like the entire catalog of every movie ever made at your fingertips, basically, that's a big, that's a big ball of anxiety. <laughs> um, it so, is, like, but I think, yeah. it, I think it's the, um, where we kind of make this distinction of obsessive viewer is like, we're not, um, you know, it's not your normal movie review podcast of right. everything. It's, we also claim, like, I don't want to, throw out these are my top 10 favorite movies of all time mm. if there's one on there that i haven't watched in 10 years that just doesn't feel right yeah to me, so to me there's something uh, affirming about like oh, i just i need to check in with this movie to make sure that mm. i'm still obsessed with it that feels like obsessive behavior to me <laughs> oh absolutely i actually have a private list that i haven't really looked at um and I'm, i might have deleted it but i'm not sure but on letterbox i have a private list just for my own uh my own uh thinking of movies that made my top 10 lists in years past that I've only watched one time. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That's a great list. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I need to make that list. Yeah. Yeah. And there's Ooh. a lot And yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'll, maybe I'll talk more about that when we get into our top tens, but basically yeah. it's yeah. just, it's a whole thing, but um, yeah. So, okay. Uh, back to my stats, theater viewings in 2022, I had 52 theater viewings, which I was very pleased with. Um, in 2023, I only had 39, which accounted for 21.2% of my total viewings of the year. Um, I'm still, I'm pleased with it. I'm sure I'm going to have a lot more this year since I'm kind of, uh, focusing the podcast on being more consistent. So a lot of that's going to be new releases and, uh, and it's going to be stuff that I see in theaters and I'm really going to put my A-list subscription to work. Um, and I say that having been just in my apartment all weekend because it's cold outside and I'm scared to go outside Uh, when it's cold. So like I haven't, I had plans to go see mean girls, the 2024 version, uh, today. And I was just like, I it's, I'm just going to watch Criterion channel or something. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, blame you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so that was, uh, that was theater viewings, 39 total, uh, of the year, um, of my 184, uh, total viewings in 2023, 
uh, of those, uh, 103 of those were 2023 releases. So that was, yeah, that is 56% of my total viewings, um, were the year of release. And as, as tiny, uh, mentioned before, like I, I am a member of the Indiana film journalist association. Um, and part of that is we get screeners for end of year viewing and we get, uh, for, for awards consideration for the IFGA awards. I have an episode that's kind of become a tradition now that the last episode of the year has kind of turned into a breakdown of the top 10 movies of the year as voted on by the IFGA. Um, but so like, if you look at my stats page for like the last few years, like starting in like beginning or mid October, it's just, it's just a ton of, a ton of viewings because it's just screener season. I'm just watching stuff so I can, I can, uh, throw my weight behind what I want to watch or what I want to win and everything. So I'm very, very pleased with that. I'm very proud of that, uh, of the affiliation I have with the IFJ. It's very, it's a very good, uh, good group. Um, so yeah, so that was 56% of my total viewings for 2023 were 2023 releases. Um, in 2022, I had 127 year of release uh, viewings, which was 37% of the total viewings. Um, so I still broke 100 year of released uh, viewings each uh, each of the last two years. Um, and finally... That's impressive, man. Thank that's, you. That's really, that's really good, yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you. I'm very pleased with it. Um, and then all of that accounts for all of 184 viewings accounts for, uh, 334.3 hours of time spent watching movies, uh, which is 13.9 days. I spent two weeks of the year watching movies. Um, (laughs) I want more. Yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Could not be more pleased. Uh, yeah. So those are my viewing stats. Uh, do you guys want to talk about some special theater viewings or memorable theater viewings if we have them? Um, sure. Do you want to do that and pair this, the other stats together? Yeah, let's do that. Kind yeah. of just buzz through it. Yeah, the rest, absolutely. The rest of the letterbox page. Yeah. Okay. Mike, do you yeah. want to get us kicked off? Yeah, sounds good. I had plenty of memorable and special theater viewings uh, this year. It was great. Great movies and also great fun at the theater. Uh, so the the first one I'll talk about and I know we don't do worst of lists anymore. I, I think that's kind of a waste of emotional energy. Yep. Uh, but I will. But I do have a worst movie of the year that I want to talk about, only because it's so surprising and shocking, and disappointing and bad mm-hmm. uh, that it was a memorable theater experience. And and that was Charlie Day's uh, Fool's Paradise. I could not believe yeah. how bad that movie was, considering who was involved. It, it was honestly. I'm I'm sorry to dogpile on on a movie because you know we especially in the last several years we we celebrate movies rather than knocking them down but um it was it was bad and it was really bad it was one of the worst I've seen since we kind of declared we don't do worsts anymore um just so uh, so disappointing Oof. and so bad anyway so uh, we'll talk about the good yeah. So Scream 6, uh, obviously I'm going to talk about it later in this episode. Scream is one of my favorite franchises, if not my favorite franchise. First time I saw it was a blast. It was great. Uh, the second time was cool. I had a, uh, tickets to something like a 3.30 show, uh, and it was all the way on the other side. So I work in Boonville, and it was on the other side of Evansville's, mm. you know, 45-plus minute drive. Jeez. Uh, and so I flew home, or not even home. I just flew <laughs> straight from work. 
uh, to go see Scream 6 by myself after school. And it was just cool. A little, like, something to be excited about after school and see it by myself. Nice. Um, in October, we saw uh, Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse, uh, which I watched at home and I liked it, but in theaters it works so much better. The intensity of the visuals and the 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 pulse pounding of the sound is it's so effective on the big screen. It really kind of changed my opinion of the movie uh, completely, or amplified my opinion of the movie. I was I always oh. thought it was pretty great, but it was excellent in the theater. Nice. Uh, and then finally, I saw uh, Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem uh, with. Uh, a bunch of friends and Oscar and Howie, my sons, nice. uh, came to their first movie night. So my my friend uh, and I, we do our movie nights every week. We had a bunch of friends. Uh, Pat, shout out to Pat, the nerds nice. we're looking for. Uh, another friend, uh, Johnny K, went. And then my kids were there. And Jake brought his niece and nephew. And it was just cool. We had a whole group. And, and my kids were excited about seeing Ninja Turtles and being at a movie night. And it was just it was just a lot of fun. So that was that was really cool. That's awesome. That's yeah. very cool. And, and do, yeah. you, do you want to just go around for the special theater viewings? Because I don't think Tiny and I are going to have as much to talk about. And then sure. we can circle yeah, back yeah, to Letterboxd. Yeah, That's yeah. 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 Sorry, but uh, anything else on on theater viewings? No, that was I mean lots of great ones, but those nice. those are the highlights for sure. Very nice. nice. Uh, tiny. Yeah, I only have two. Um <clears throat> for, they they both took place at the uh IMAX theater at the State Museum here in Indianapolis, nice. which is the best theater in town. Um mm-hmm. and the first one was Oppenheimer. Um we got to see like we were like some of the first people I want to definitely in the country, maybe in the world to see it. Yeah, because uh, it was like because I saw I saw it with Matt and we mm. were we were at um uh, it was a, it was the Thursday before it came out I think it was a special viewing yeah or maybe was it was it a Tuesday it was I don't remember what day it was but it was like that that was a trip that was awesome and especially because like that is that theater is one of the only like theaters that has you know, um, 70 millimeter capabilities, like true IMAX. And like, there were right. people like it was a combination promo slash press screening, I think. And there were people who like traveled from like Michigan and Chicago just to see, uh, just right. to go to that screening. Right. Really cool. Yeah. So that was really cool. Packed house, uh, that we'll talk more about that movie later, but yeah, just that experience was super fun. Uh, and then, few months later um i got to go see uh a remastered version of close encounters of the third time of the third kind from 1977 um my my dad went with me which was super cool because i remember as a kid i have a memory of watching like the vhs of that with my dad and it's like one of the first movies we kind of bonded over um and so it was really cool for for me to be able to see that with my dad in the theater. We both cried. It was really cool. Um, That was really memorable. It was an awesome remaster or, uh, um, you know, the, the, the job they did remastering. I think it was, I think it was 70 millimeter. I don't know that they they gave us those Mm -hmm. details in the theater. I don't think they did, but it filled the screen really well and it looked really great. The sound was on point. They really did a good job with the sound. So yeah, it was a great transfer and uh, it was, there was a lot of people there too. So it was, it was a really fun viewing. Nice. And it was a Tuesday that we saw Oppenheimer. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, so that's, yeah, that's it for me. Nice. Uh, real quick, I just have a few that I want to talk about real quick. Um, I kind of kicked off the year in the theater in 2023 with a uh, viewing of 2001 A Space Odyssey at Keystone Art, which 
Um, I like that. I, I don't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast last year for a year in review or if it had happened yet, but basically 2001 a space odyssey, one of my favorite movies of all time. I have seen it since 2013. I have watched it eight times. Each of those eight times since 2013 have been in a theater, which I'm just so happy about that. <laughs> like I have not watched it like at home since before 2013, before the podcast, um, which is crazy to me. And I, and it sucks because I had the chance to see it again in the theater uh, a week or so ago, but I just didn't, I just didn't feel like up, up to going to it. So, um, unless it comes up again in theaters sometime this year, I might break that streak and watch it at home, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, but I'm very, uh, that was a memorable theater experience in, in, uh, 2023. And then also just a couple of highlighted ones. Uh, the Oppenheimer screening was awesome just because 70 millimeter, amazing, uh, biggest screen in the state. Amazing. Um, and then also a couple of ones that I really enjoyed, uh, just the experience is like, I went to, I saw talk to me by myself and, I'll talk about that movie later, but like that, <laughs> that experience was so like, I was squirming in my seat because it was just so like visceral and like, it just got so under my skin. It was great. Um, and then on kind of the opposite end of that, in terms of horror, uh, another memorable theater experience was Thanksgiving, which was unbelievably fun and, and uh, awesome. Cool. I just, I loved it. Um, and I do want to shout out Scream 6 as well, even though it's, it, it, it like I saw it earlier in the year, but I do want to point out, and this is going to sound like a weird flex and I don't mean it to at all, but like Scream, Scream, like Mike said, it's, it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite franchise of everything. It is the franchise that defines who I am in some ways, who I've become, and it's interesting because it's a it's a franchise that I've seen in the theater multiple times. Uh, like I've I've seen every I've seen every movie in that franchise in the theater. Thankfully, I got to see Scream One, uh, twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one. But this was the first time that I had the opportunity to go to a press screening for it. So I when I saw Scream Six, it was you know before it came out, and I was very excited about that. Um, so yeah, so that was cool. cool. Um, and then finally, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. It's a terrible, shitty movie, but uh, I got to see it with a group of a group of friends, and it was a lot of fun. It was enjoyable just to be in the theater, like opening night, the Thursday that it opened, and we were a group of like six guys, and there was maybe four other people in the theater. <laughs> it was, it was, it was uh, not not a good. Uh, swan song for the dceu but it was still a fun experience because uh just a group of people was was a lot of fun so those are my memorable theater uh experiences um for 2023 um yeah and uh and mike do you want to circle back and go back to our letterbox stats which are stats that can be found on our letterboxed stats pages so if you go to uh letterbox.com slash uh, our username. So like if for me, it would be letterbox.com slash obsessive viewer slash year slash 2023. Just go to the profile, click stats. You'll find it. Um, <laughs> Mike letterbox stats for 2023. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just I'll just kind of buzz through these because I'm I'm getting excited to talk about our uh, our top ten lists. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. Uh, like I said, 238 films logged, which is 19.8 per month. Uh, which my goal was 15, uh, assuming 31 in October, and obviously I beat that goal. In 2022, I had 10.2 per month. My average viewings per week is 4.6, which kind of surprised me, almost five per week. Uh, That's kind of a lot. So two days a week, I didn't watch a movie. Uh, 2022 was 2.4. My biggest week was October 2nd through the H through the 8th, excuse me, where I watched uh, 10 movies, so that's no surprise. Usually early October, I watch a bunch. Uh, in 2022, September 12th through the 18th was 10 films. I had COVID, so I watched a lot of movies that week uh, in 2022. My busiest day of the week, again, no surprise, is Thursday. It is extremely, extremely rare that I miss a Thursday uh, of watching a movie, so uh, that's obviously my busiest day of the week. My first film uh, was a movie you guys loved very much, but I did not. Was Marcel the Shell uh, with Shuzan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last film that I watched for the year was Brooklyn 45, which is great because uh, that movie takes place like uh, in that liminal space between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so nice. I wanted to watch it then. Uh, my most watched movie was Scream 6. I watched it three times and I watched a couple movies twice. Uh, Spider-Man, Super Mario, Goodfellas, Sandlot, Scream. Uh, my biggest uh, genre is horror uh, and then after that is comedy. My most watched actor is Bill Hader. Uh, well, also Tom Cruise, Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. and Margot Robbie. All five movies. Uh, and then my most watched directors. I guess I watched a lot of directors. So Scorsese, uh, Steve Miner, that's the Friday the 13th movies, David Bruckner, Matt Bettelini Open, and Tyler Gillett, or Gillett, however you pronounce their name for uh, the screen movies. Uh, that was my 2023 in stats. Nice. Yeah, it's funny because I'm going to have some uh, overlap with you on that. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, Tiny, your letterbox stats for 2023. Yeah, so uh, one of the main stats I forgot to mention, just real quick, 2023 movies, 2023 releases, I only saw 22, which is uh, embarrassing. So (laughs) that's not good. But I squeezed the top 10 out of that, which is impressive. So I'll take that. Um, So uh, average views per month, I was 6.8. Views per week was 1.6, which I'm okay with that. Uh, biggest day of the week was Sunday. That's my laundry day. I hang out, down <laughs> the, hang out down in the basement. Uh, I got a nice TV set up down in the basement, and I literally stay down there like most of the day and just do laundry all day and just watch whatever I want to watch. So I kind of love uh, that, honestly. <laughs> that tracks. Yeah, it's it's like I kind of appreciate doing laundry because I'm like, ah, oh, that means I get to sit down and watch whatever I want to watch all day long. <laughs> so um, Sunday was the biggest day of the week. My biggest week was the last week of the year. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I watched. Uh, nine movies. Uh, I think I watched like six in one day or five in one day. That's uh, I, I had a lot of time off at the end of the year. At the end of the year, which was great. We didn't make a ton of plans, so uh, I got to just. I think it was. I think it was one of my Sundays. It was a, it was a laundry Sunday. I watched like six movies, so that was awesome. Nice. Uh, first movie was The Banshees of Inisherin. The last movie was John Wick Chapter Four. Um, this is nice. this is fun because I'm not going to talk about the movie anymore the rest of the time, but. My diary milestone, so my 50th viewing for the year, just happened to be Scream 6. So that's 
uh, or Scream 2022 Part 2, as Mike calls it. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so, because I, I know you guys love that franchise. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I'm, I'm a fan of it for sure, but it's, it doesn't, it just, I don't have it in the same regard as you guys do. But I thought that was a fun little, uh, fun little piece of uh, serendipity, I guess, that it was my milestone for 50th of the year. Nice. Um, yeah, I wrote three little blurbs slash reviews this year for Sly, uh, Gran Turismo, and randomly uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. So if, if you're interested in those at all, go mm-hmm. go look at that on my Letterboxd. Uh, most watched movie was Tenet. I was really into that movie this year, and I like wanted to watch it multiple times because I feel like I'm starting to understand it now. <laughs> um, most viewed actor was uh so this most viewed stuff is going to be another marvel year because i rewatch those movies all the time so mm. most viewed actor was robert downey jr with eight um i also had a bunch of the other marvel actors sam jackson uh dave batista chris evans scarlett johansson were up there as well um most viewed director was christopher nolan um with five viewings i also had uh really really scott on there peter jackson Russo Brothers, uh, James Gunn, Peter Berg. Uh, most popular genre was action, 43 movies. So more than half was action. So I think those are all my uh, all my kind of fun stats for the year. So yeah. Very nice. That's, that's yeah. Uh, again, this is why we love Letterboxd. We used to do oh, this stuff manually. Oh, <laughs> like, yes. Man, that's so crazy. Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, like I would, I would literally spend New Year's Day making a Word yep. document of everything. Yep. It was insane. Um, yeah, so my letterbox stats for 2023, um, in terms of like the bar graph for week by week, I did have a couple of. Uh, this is so interesting to me because I don't remember exactly how like what i what i filled my time with in these weeks but um i had two two um times where i had two weeks of no movies watched which is very atypical for me um and what's interesting about that is that those two weeks or those two sets of two weeks were it looks like it was memorial day weekend was uh, fell on one of them which is weird because i have memorial day off and like I could just watch movies. I didn't know what I did that day. Um, and then the other interesting one is in those in the two week span where I had and then another two week span where I had no movies watched fell on like my birthday, um, which is weird because I usually like to watch a movie on my birthday, but I didn't this year. Um, but from there, it was I watched movies every week and uh, starting with week 40. So October 2nd through 8th, I watched 12 movies. That was one of my high ones. That and the final week of the year, I both watched 12 movies. And then in between those two, uh, those two weeks, October, October 2nd and December 31st, like each, each week was like between five and 11 movies watched each week. So, uh, really finished, finished strong, um, averages per month. I had 15.3 movies watched per per month on average and average per week was 3.5. My biggest days were Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Sunday taking the top spot at 38 movies and Friday and Saturday uh, uh, tying at 33. My first movie of the year was uh, the max documentary uh, this place rules, which I watched on January 6th because it was about the insurrection and everything. Uh, the last movie I watched of 2023 was Slacker by Richard Linklater on Criterion Channel because I was 
just devouring everything I could on that streaming service. Uh, Milestones, 50th movie was Fast X, 100th movie was Fair Play, which is on Netflix, and 150th was Next Goal Wins, um, which don't really have anything to say about those, but uh, most watched, uh, I watched Scream 6 three times, like Mike, Um, and then I had six movies that I watched twice uh, over the course of the year. They were They Came Together, one of my favorite comedies of all time. Uh, You do love that movie. It is... It is one of my most watched movies just overall, like in my, in my, like my overall stats, it's one, it's like my second most, most watched movie. I love it so much. Um, but, <laughs> uh, they came together, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Bottoms, uh, Scream 22 and the dark half were all movies that I watched twice in, uh, 2023. Um, it's funny because the dark half, if I could just say that I watched that movie twice because I wrote an essay for Midwest film journal that you can find on, uh, on my, actually my 2023 archive page. So go to obsessiveviewer.com slash Matt hurt 2023. You'll find a link to that essay and everything that I did in terms of writing, podcasting and writing and podcasting. <laughs> so, uh, so those are those stats, uh, top genre, Mike. I think that you'll be Hit pleased. Me. Hit me. My top genre with 59 films was horror. Um, that's, that's surprising. It is. It is very right. surprising. I hit the ground running really hard with watching uh, horror movies throughout October, throughout Shocktober. Yeah. Um, and I, I watched a ton. I have a list on Letterboxd about it. Um, but I watched a ton on on letter uh, uh, throughout Shocktober. I watched a ton of horror movies. I also did like a weird like tandem rewatch of that I abandoned eventually, but tandem rewatch of Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth franchises. So I got like three uh-huh. movies into each yeah, one. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Uh, so horror was the top one and then comedy came in second and then drama. Um, one of my goals for this year, which uh, I'm spoiling later in the episode, but one of my goals is to get more into sci-fi this year. So, um, last year sci-fi is kind of bringing up the rear a little bit along with romance and crime. Um, and then what else? Uh, okay. Top, top stars, top actors for 2023. Uh, we have Randall Park with six movies. Uh, David Desmalchian with five, Pete Davidson with four, uh, and he's tied with uh, Stephanie Hsu, uh, Carrie Elways, uh, Greta Lee, Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Kurt Russell, and uh, and Kurt Russell for four movies watched. And then also uh, Eric Sang has three movies, which is because he's in all three of the Infernal Affairs trilogy, which I watched at the end of the year, which brings me two top directors uh the top two directors with three movies are alan mack and andrew lao wei uh kyung uh they directed all three of the infernal affairs trilogy which i watched at the end of the year um the rest are just two movies that two movie directors um of movies that I watched, uh, David Cronenberg, James Wan, M. Night Shyamalan, Ridley Scott, uh, Damian Leon, because uh, I watched um, uh, Terrifier and uh, All Hallows Eve. Was that the anthology movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, watched those and then Steve Miner uh, and then Radio Silence. Um, so those those are my top uh, top viewed directors. And, uh, that should just about do it, uh, for my letterbox stats. Uh, I have some that are like rated lower than average, higher than average. We don't care about that. Check out my stats. 
letterboxed. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's what we've got for letterbox stats. Uh, what comes next? Is this, are we getting into the, to the meat of it now? Uh, I think this is it. I think so. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about first, uh, movies we missed. If we have any movies that we didn't get a chance to watch before compiling our top 10 list that we think could potentially have been on the top 10 list or that we just couldn't make time for, uh, Mike, what are some, what are some misses that you had in 2023? Yeah, I kind of scraped, uh, a barrel for this anatomy of a fall. I, I Mm. have, I, I don't know that that would have ended up all of us strangers may December. I don't know that any of those would have ended up on my top 10. Uh, but I do have a feeling they will, uh, be getting some Oscar interest. So I'll, I'll probably check those out eventually. The one that I really tried to see, because Matt, you're going to talk about it later is Mm -hmm. poor things. Uh, and we actually, it was on the dock for movie night, uh, last week. And we ended up, um, kind of getting out a little far over our skis and we thought we could squeeze in a trip to B-dubs before the movie, and we could not, and B-dubs took too long, and then, uh, so we missed it. We ended up seeing Night Swim at a later time, Mm. so uh, I was disappointed to not catch Poor Things before then. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things about it. I'm excited to see it. We might see it this week, but uh, that's kind of the big one. That's the main one. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bummer when you texted me and said, never mind, we're not not making it to it. See in Night Swim. Yep, yep. People uh, love Night Swim. Do right. they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sweep, yeah. Sweeping awards left and right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I uh, actually didn't hate it, but... Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hate it either, things. but... Yeah, yeah. I I love uh, Wyatt Russell. I will say that. And I'll be yeah. reviewing Night Swim next week on the podcast. So, uh, so yeah, there's that. Uh, Tiny, movies you missed... Yeah, the biggest one was actually what Mike just said. Poor things. Mm-hmm. Heard so many good things about it. I I really really missed that one. Um, really, uh, ones I missed this year is too many to name because I only saw twenty two movies from this year. <laughs> so I mean, there's just tons. But uh, another one that jumps out is Godzilla minus one. Mm-hmm. That sounds really cool. Um, Dream scenario looked really fun. Um, I really dropped the ball on horror this year. I saw like hardly any horror movies this year and the one i saw um talked to me i liked it a lot and i you know i know i feel like horror is going through such a great uh maybe maybe this is a, a wrong interpretation but i feel like it's had having a great upswing if you will in in just great movies over the last half decade maybe even decade um and i really missed the ball on that this ball on that this year uh movies like thanksgiving i, I really wanted to see that um so yeah there's uh, a lot of stuff i missed this year um i'm going to try to catch up we'll uh, we'll see what happens nice nice yeah i'm very curious what you think about several of those so um yeah for sure uh, the movies I missed in 2023, um, all of us strangers is the, is the big one that I wish I would have gotten a chance to see. Cause it kind of seems like it's the type of movie that I would really, uh, really enjoy. Um, I also, before finalizing the top 10, I didn't get a chance to see Ferrari. I have since seen Re- Ferrari and have since reviewed Ferrari and didn't really like it all that much. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, not not too big there. But um, other movies I missed were How to Blow Up a Pipeline. I heard really good things about. Um, also, I heard really good things about Dick's the Musical. And 
I'm, I, I wish I would have made time to see that. I don't know if it would have made my top 10, but it sounds like it was a, at least a lot of fun. Um, other movies on my radar that I missed were uh, Master Gardener, The Royal Hotel, and Dumb Money. Um, I didn't really make time to see Dumb Money specifically because by the end of the year, I was kind of burnt out on that that brand of like true life uh, yeah. corporate yeah. movie thing. Um, which is to say Blackberry was really good. Um, so, uh, so that was good, but I don't know. Uh, those are the movies I missed in 2023. And, uh, do you guys want to give any honorable mentions, um, that you have? And, and I'm going to present that as a caveat with, with the caveat that I'm not going to give my honorable mentions because I've already done that on Patreon. <laughs> so, oh, interesting. Okay. yeah. So January 1st, I released a full length episode on Patreon to all the tier members that were, uh, that's my 2023 podcast and writing stats and honorable mentions. I basically just geeked out over how much I wrote and recorded on across all avenues and everything and shared my honorable mentions. So uh, if you want that, I'll, I'll have a clip at the end of the show that has like the podcast stats and everything. But if you want my honorable mentions, they're on Patreon. Uh, and with that, I will yield the floor to you guys for your honorable mentions for 2023. Well, I, I definitely have honorable mentions. Uh, and, and, Oh, geez. It's like I'm almost nervous to talk about them uh, because they're kind of significant. And and they're two movies that are, uh, I imagine, on your year end lists. And one of the movies I know for sure is on many, many year end lists. Uh, so the first one I'll mention is Oppenheimer is not in my top 10. Um, and And before you turn off the podcast and before you cancel <laughs> me i am fully aware how amazing that movie is and and the first time i saw that movie uh, i think my review said that it's the best movie about america since there will be blood um but i gotta be honest with you since i saw oppenheimer over the summer i've thought about there will be blood more often than i've thought about oppenheimer um I understand the technical achievements of it. I think Killian Murphy is great. I love that there's this new like Killian Murphy versus Paul Giamatti battle for uh, best actor. Like, I, I, yeah. what a cool best actor battle this year that I, that I'll be rooting for either of them. Uh, I think the technical achievements uh, that Chris Nolan was able to accomplish on screen are brilliant. The movie is amazing. Like I get it and I enjoyed my experience, but when I thought about what movies I was excited to talk about and what movies in a couple years uh, I will wa have watched multiple times, I kind of just decided Oppenheimer was not one of them. It it's not a movie that I'm like excited to talk about, despite how great it might be. Um, to a lesser extent, Killers of the Flower Moon is an honorable mention that's not going to be in my top 10. Uh, but I feel kind of the same way about it. I am a Scorsese fanboy. Um, I... I found I almost connected to Killers of a Flower Moon a little bit more after uh, watching it than I did with Oppenheimer, except that, again, it's not a movie I want to watch again. It's a it's a movie about bad people for three hours, and that's kind of tough to watch. And uh, I just haven't thought about it much, despite its technical achievements, but despite Leonardo DiCaprio uh, being excellent in it, despite Robert De Niro being excellent in it, uh, despite Scorsese. I, I just haven't thought about it a lot, so it kind of ended up 
on my periphery. And I just want to apologize to anybody who loves those movies. Me not including them in my top 10 is, is not saying that they don't belong in your top 10. Uh, they're just not, I'm just not super excited to talk about either of those. Uh, the one that was difficult to cut out of my top 10 and, and it kind of got nudged out at the end uh, is when evil lurks. Oh yeah. And it's a, uh, a, a horror movie that was straight to streaming. I, I believe it debuted on shutter uh, and it was by the director of terrified. And it is just so it was the feel bad movie of the year, yeah. a horrible, horrible horror movie, horrible in, in the best way in, in that it was horrible horrible you feel horrible watching <laughs> it some of some brutal kills um they really pull no punches uh in terms of like the intensity of the deaths and and the the depths they're willing to go uh in the the sadness and depravity depicted on screen when evil lurks is a gnarly gnarly movie uh and yeah. and in a weaker year it would have ended up in my top 10 i'll say in a in a weaker year Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon would have ended up in a top mm-hmm. ten. They, they, the all three of those are top five movies of 2020. Uh, it, you know, when we look back at our our 2020 episode, which is just <laughs> five decent movies and then some okay movies. Yeah, uh, 2020 was was terrible. I will say that When Evil Lurks, I believe, did have a limited release in theaters. Okay, um, yeah, gotcha. It, it didn't come around here in Evansville, mm-hmm. um, but I but I enjoyed it quite a bit so when evil lurks oppenheimer forgive me and killers of the flower moon uh, of the flower moon uh, forgive me nice uh tiny enter any honorable mentions yeah actually some overlap with uh, with mike i have nice. killers of the flower moon on mine as well <gasps> cool um yeah i yeah i i for some of the same reasons i think i i feel like it was a little the structure was a little convoluted in it um yeah it was too long i will die on that hill that needed to be a shorter <laughs> movie um it just ha- had its issues great acting decent writing um but yeah just i i couldn't get over a couple of those things um i just watched finished today a documentary by alexandra pelosi called the insurrectionist next door mm-hmm. um i like her style because she's very raw I've, I've seen several of her documentaries before she's very raw uh not over edited and I appreciate that because it's 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 a real genre where you're talking about real things and real people. So I appreciate the uh, how grounded her filmmaking is as a documentary uh, filmmaker and just such a unique situation, you know, uh, to to make to make something about these people who did this ridiculous, stupid thing on January sixth, January sixth, twenty twenty one, to actually be there and to have you know their reactions as to what they did and how they feel now. I thought it was a, a really good idea for a documentary um and then the third one is leave the world behind um Hmm. i didn't love the movie or anything but i i just i wanted to mention it because it's i i think it took an idea that's had a lot of traction over the last maybe decade or so um i forget the term you used for it matt but it's like kind of people coming together at the end of the world kind of a subgenre yeah um, I'm not sure what else to call it, but it's sort of apocalyptic kind of mm. kind of genre thing. Um, that's been used a lot. It got tired really quick. Yeah. But there was some freshness to this. There was a little bit of freshness to it, and some they made it their own in a certain way. And I thought it was kind of fun, and, and ended up kind of liking it. But uh, wasn't quite enough for my top ten. So 
Those are my three honorable mentions. Killers of the Flower Moon, The Insurrectionist Next Door, and Leave the World Behind. Nice. And once again, you can check out my honorable mentions on Patreon. Um, I also wrote about them on the website. I think I have my honorable mentions on that. I have a whole write-up for end-of-year stuff. Uh, Check that out again. Obsessiveviewer.com slash matthurt2023. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting about Leave the World Behind. It's not on my list or anything, but it was a memorable movie, and it has one of the... Just it it's just a fun punchline of an ending. I like I just I just enjoyed yeah. that quite a bit. Um yeah. Uh shall we get in to the main event, our top ten favorite movies of twenty twenty-three? Let's do it. I'm so excited. Yes, sir. Yes. yes, sir. So how we're gonna go about doing this is like we've been doing throughout the episode. It's a round robin thing. We're going to count down 10 to one. Uh, We're going to start with Mike, go to tiny, go to me for a number 10, then go to nine, eight, so on and so forth. Um, So these are our top 10 movies of 2023. Mike, do you want to get us kicked off with your number 10? I would love to. And I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Uh, So my number 10 is still a Michael J. Fox movie. Uh, And I watched it in the first half of the year and uh, it kind of shot its way up uh, my top 10 list early on and kind of stayed there for the entire year. Um, What was so cool about the movie or so it's a documentary and it was unlike anything I've ever seen before in that it blended like archive footage uh, reenactment movie footage and like talking head interview into one one movie one presentation so like for instance when he uh, discusses filming family ties and back to the future at the same time you see uh, him on set in archive footage uh, on the set of family ties and then he uh in a reenactment drives back to his apartment they pick him up and then he in this reenactment so somebody is playing young michael j fox drives onto the set of back to the future and as he walks on set there's like a cut and then it cuts to actual footage of back to the future um wow and it you know like as we go through these top 10 lists and we talk about like tiny you've already said the this movie could be could have been a little shorter and we talk about movies being a little shorter a lot of long movies uh if i have any complaint about still is that i think it could have been 20 minutes longer uh it's it's pretty short it's feature length but um it really doesn't delve too deeply or deeply enough into someone who has kind of meant a great deal to me and though his star has maybe faded ever so slightly uh here this century was an absolute, absolute megastar in the 80s. He's one of only two actors who had the number one television show and the number one movie at the same time. Nice. Um, And it was just kind of cool to see his story and his star rise uh, blended with the the tragedy of his health, um, while at the same time, like, uh, his determination to... I won't say overcome, that's not fair because he's still struggling with it, but to persevere despite uh, his limited abilities. And um, it was just kind of cool to see the, the the background footage of him in Spin City uh, trying to kind of conceal the, the effects of his Parkinson's mm-hmm. disease. And um, it's pretty sad. There's a scene early on in the movie where he is walking out of a hotel uh, and he trips and falls in front of like a stranger 
who's like, hey, Mr. Fox, it's nice to meet you. And he, and he just kind of falls because he loses his balance. And just kind of in his signature Michael J. Fox wit is like, oh, you, you, you knocked me off my feet. Uh, <laughs> and it's just so cool and charismatic to see him take a moment. It's kind of a metaphor for his life, really, uh, to take something that has been debilitating to him uh, and spin it in a positive, optimistic way. He, he's just such an idol of mine. Uh, and I really loved every minute of my number 10, still a Michael J. Fox movie. Nice. Nice. Very nice. I did not get a chance to see it. Um, I will uh, catch up with it because I love Michael J. Fox, so I'll definitely have to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Tiny, your number 10. Uh, my number 10 is, is a documentary that came out this year called Sly. Uh, mm. It is about the 50-year prolific career of Sylvester Stallone. Um, it's on Netflix, so uh, I, I recommend going to check it out. Um, what jumped out to me is... I, as a documentary, it's, it's entirely serviceable. It's 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 nothing exceptional in that regard. But what I think jumped out to me so much is just uh, how dynamic of a person and how dynamic of an artist Sylvester Stallone is. I think he has this image. If we we, we talk about the average the average uh, movie watcher or the the average movie fan, uh, the average person all the time on this podcast, because. We don't consider ourselves to be that. And we're definitely not. I don't think by any moniker we are. But uh, I think the average person sees Sylvester Stallone as an action star. He's a big action star. He's he's like you know Arnold Schwarzenegger or, uh, I, I don't know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, someone like that. And he has so, so much more depth to him as an artist that a lot of people just don't know about. Uh, I think a lot of people forget that he wrote Rocky. And he he's he's written almost as many movies as he's acted in. Yeah. Um, and he's he's just a very artistic person, and, and it it doesn't seem that way because he's kind of he looks like a big meathead, you know. He doesn't his image doesn't match necessarily what he is, and I I always find that interesting. Um, and I, I I just love how how raw and emotional and on the table everything was in this documentary. He talked about how how terrible his childhood was. He had a really horrible father, and um, his mother I think his mother passed away. I can't remember when he was younger, but. Um, he had a really rough childhood and a rough life and he, he turned it into this really successful career and he's managed to hold on to his uh, artistic abilities and, and uh, overcome a lot of different things. And um, the way that was all captured and um, highlighted in this documentary, I just thought was great. Um, it, it was a story that needed to be told, I think. Uh, and uh, I, I just really enjoyed it. It was a, a really fun movie, a really fun documentary to watch. Nice. I cool. Did awesome. not catch it. <laughs> yeah, um, me neither. Yeah, and it's funny. I'm not going to have any documentaries on my list, but I kind of feel like I mm. should have watched more documentaries. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. So that's on Netflix. It's Sly. Uh, still is on Apple TV Plus, um, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And my number 10, this is going to be kind of surprising because this is the only time I'm going to talk about marvel studios on this list <laughs> um and it's kind of an outlier of their output in 2023 it's guardians of the galaxy volume three um in april i did a patreon immediate reaction review i wrote a review on the website um and i reviewed it with my friends joe and brent on obsessive viewer episode 393 so uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I think, is a perfect kind of conclusion to that 
cast of characters, that very offbeat, uh, like sector of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it works really well as a send off for those characters and a swan song from James Gunn as he moves over to DC for the DCU. Um, but what I really found so amazing about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is that it goes so deep into the character of Rocket and the the Guardians themselves and the way that it just just grips you in that in the the pain of Rocket's backstory like I was all in I like I was weeping at uh, certain points in the movie it was very very affecting and in addition to that there were certain aspects of it that I felt just so comfortable with as a fan of science fiction. So like there is that whole excursion onto like earth Two or whatever the, like the planet is that's like earth, but as alien people like that just felt so much in line with the kind of science fiction I like, which is to say like the twilight zone, it felt like something right out of the twilight zone. And I loved i loved that so uh guardians of the galaxy volume 3 is my number 10 i really really enjoyed it um and it's a shame that marvel just from my estimation has just crapped the bed for for the most part throughout the rest of the year oh that's a whole other podcast yeah it is yeah yes it is <laughs> uh but that's my, my number 10 guardians of the galaxy volume 3 it is currently on disney plus uh mike do you want to get the ball rolling continuing to number nine <laughs> absolutely uh my number nine is john wick chapter four uh and i i would say i'm a fan of the franchise but i don't know that i'm like a super fan of all of them um i think the first one was 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 pretty good uh but maybe like i i wouldn't have picked that to spawn three super successful sequels uh as a franchise that needed to go huge and then Two and three expanding the universe. I think people really liked it, but it's not really my. Uh, I don't know. I I didn't think that the the hotel and the and the hitman um, lifestyle was really as interesting as those kind of movies felt like they were. Um, but chapter four, I felt like fulfilled the promise of those movies. It was an expansion or like uh, the the finishing of an arc that was promised in the first movie of this like underground world that we don't know about. Uh, I thought the action scenes were bigger and better. Uh, the, the car stunts at the end, like the car slash motorcycle stuff uh, in the climax. Um, when he, when he has that, that I don't know guns at all, but like the flame rounds. Yeah. The dragon's breath scene. Yeah. The dragon's breath. I, I thought that was incredible. And so it just, it finally paid off. It, it finally became this like over the top. You've never seen anything like this before type of movie that the other movies kind of promised, which I didn't, which were fine, but I thought that their, um, excuse me. I thought that their claim to fame was like, um, just incessant action. I didn't, I didn't know that it was like special or over the top. I just thought it was like constant action. Uh, this felt, over the top and special uh, enough to be on my top 10. Number nine, John Wick, chapter four. Nice. I'll be talking about that later. Uh, Agreed. It's, it's amazing. Um, Tiny, you're number nine. 
my number nine is a total, total surprise for the year. It is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Nice. Um, yeah, that was a fun one. Yep. Yeah, I just I threw it on just out of nowhere um, a couple weeks ago. I was like, yeah, my top ten is pretty much there. I think I'm good. And I was, I'm going to watch something just kind of fun. And man, it was super, super fun. Um, I feel like the chemistry amongst the actors was was totally like an unexpected ragtag group that I I just was not expecting, you know, uh, uh, that group of people to be that, you know, it, it wasn't like, Oh, we're a family now. It wasn't, it wasn't cheesy like that. It was just, it felt organic. Like it felt like it was something that just kind of happened when they were making the movie. Um, and it, it was just, it was just super fun. I mean, it was funny and they didn't like, they, they could have just made like a, goofy Dungeons and Dragons movie and let the ancillary aspects of the movie just fall away. And it still would have been a fun movie, but like there's like kind of like a fight scene. It's like the climax of the movie that felt like it was out of a Marvel movie. Like they actually went pretty hard in the paint and made a really cool like action fight scene at the end of this movie. And where like, it was like a team up thing. It kind of made me think of like an Avengers movie. And I was like, I, I was not expecting that at all out of this yeah, movie. That was cool. And it was, it was really effective and like it was a fun action scene and they did a really good job. I, I just thought it was um, surprisingly fun and uh, and well grounded and funny. Uh, really, really good script. Uh, John Francis Daly, you know, yep. uh, he was he was one of the writers of it. And I've liked a lot of his stuff in the past. Some of it has not been good, but, um, you know, he's a gifted writer. And I, I was just really, really pleasantly surprised by this. Um, I didn't look up how it did. I think it maybe did okay financially. I, I just I hope it was good enough to make make a sequel or two. I would love to see more. Um, yeah, just pleasantly surprised by Dungeons and Dragons for my number nine. Yeah, I think it was a success, and I I loved it too. It didn't make my honorable mentions or my top ten, but uh, what I what it what struck me most about it was that it just as someone who doesn't has never played Dungeon Dungeons and Dragons, but I I know the ins and outs of it from uh, pop culture. Um, it just seems like it just captures that energy of like a team of people, like a party, like doing Dungeons and Dragons. It captures that, that, uh, that energy so well. And I was just, I was, I was all in. It was fantastic. Yeah. The whole, like, can you just use magic to do this? Like, that was, <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that's your number nine. Mine is, uh, Thanksgiving. Um, yes. Eli Ross Thanksgiving. So yes. freaking good. Yes. So, uh, I reviewed it with my friend Brent on Obsessive Viewer episode 403. Uh, Thanksgiving is such a, was, was such a, a fun payoff to the trailer from what, 10 years ago, maybe more. Um, yeah, no, it was uh, like 14, seven. Yeah. Yeah. It was a while. So long time. Yep. So it, it pays that off so well. And something that I think I read that Eli Roth said was that, uh, what they wanted to do with the movie was treat it like, treat it like the trailer is this uncovered, like relic from cinema history that someone finds and decides to remake or reboot um, with like a modern sensibility. And what Thanksgiving ends up being is a very just fun, gory, awesome slasher that has so many throwbacks to 
like 90s era slashers. That's something I wasn't expecting. And I was yeah. so floored yes. by it. Yes. And a whodunit. And a whodunit. It, it has all the hallmarks of like that, that post-Scream era uh, uh, teen slasher resurgence in the late 90s. And it does it so well. And it takes, it takes itself seriously enough that it's not playing up as comedy. Like the movie begins with a, a patently ridiculous like black friday you know surge and 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 stampede uh that's the jumping off point of the movie and it's like all of these people involved are like caricatures but it's plays it so earnestly that it doesn't come across as parody it just comes across as this is just this weird town energy um and i i loved it and the way it implements all the different like things related to thanksgiving in terms of kills and like the way that it implements those things in the kills and the violence was fantastic i i loved it so um i can't wait to get it so i can watch it again because i have only seen it the one time but it was it was phenomenal yep feels like i need to wait for thanksgiving to watch it though yeah (laughs) i won't i won't (laughs) i can't i can't wait i can't wait to watch it again i just can't (laughs) yeah yep so that's my number nine thanksgiving moving right along mike why don't you hit us with your number eight uh number eight my favorite horror movie that's not a screen movie of the Mm -hmm. year uh is talk to me uh a little australian horror movie um that kind of gained some traction so probably um i don't know the biggest i don't know what point i'm trying to make here so <laughs> horror movies about grief are like their own new subgenre. um it's like grief horror is a new is like the new most popular thing to do in horror uh and this is another one of them um but what i find or where I take issue with a lot of those is the, the hauntings or the horror that comes from those grief uh, films. It, it like it stretches the main character's motivation. What's so cool about this one. So talk to me is about uh, there's this hand and it's like this myth that if you, if you talk to this hand, you can see uh, dead people. And so these kids, these like teens um talk to this hand and they they get together and they do this at a party like it's some night of drinking or or doing drugs and and merriment but um for them it's like fun and lighthearted and it kind of reminds you of being young but the main character uh is someone who lost her mother uh before the events of the film and when you see them have like this party with this hand where they're like addicted to it um some of those kids are using it just for like fun for a night of fun teen debauchery. And one of them is, is uh, the one suffering from grief from the loss of her mother is um, hoping with her grief uh, and, and building this like negative coping mechanism with the hand that is not just a metaphor for grief, but it's a metaphor also for the way we cope uh, in negative ways with grief uh, to 
scary and horrific and sad ends. Uh, and Talk to Me is one of the better depictions of grief and, and that type of motivation. Like the main character does things that are annoying, like don't do that and you won't get in trouble or don't do that and that person won't die. But the fact that she's like a teenager who is desperate, like justifies those actions plot wise. Uh, and I, and I, I just think we don't get a whole lot of horror that that's that's that clever and that introspective uh, and has that that many themes layered upon one another. You get a lot of teen debauchery and you also get a lot of grief, but I don't I don't think you see them played the same way. So, talk to me was an easy uh, top ten for me. Yeah, I'll talk about it later. But man, uh, that movie was just awesome, just so yeah. good, so good. Yeah. Yep. I thought it was great too. Yeah. I, for all the reasons you said. Awesome movie. Cool. Nice. Uh Tiny, your number eight. My number eight is uh Maestro, which is uh on Netflix. Um uh we watched this, my wife and I watched this a few weeks ago, and um I you know, I feel like it's a produced by Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg and directed by um Bradley Cooper starring Bradley Cooper. I think that, you know, this is, a, this isn't a big awards movie. And so I wasn't surprised that I liked it and it was going to be really good. But, um, the, the, the part that I, I thought was really, really well done was how was the, the camera work in the movie. I mean, Bradley Cooper, I think it's one of his best performances, maybe his best. I thought he was incredible. Um, it, such a good movie from that perspective alone, but I, I, I loved the camera work in the movie. I, I feel like that the central core of the movie is this relationship between a, I never really looked it up. If he's a closet, just a closeted gay man, or if he's bisexual, I don't know what it is, but he's obviously hiding this part of his life. So he has a tumultuous relationship with this woman and um, uh, who he marries. And it's, it's a constant conflict with her and, and, that's the core of the movie. And I feel like the camera work tracks the evolution of that, that relationship. Um, most notably, there's a lot of, a lot more wide angles and a lot more distant camera work, the more they separate. And then towards the end of their lives, they sort of come back together and reconcile in a way and, and, and become close towards the end again. And there's a lot more close-ups at the end of the movie. And I just, I was so impressed by how, that visual traction followed that relationship. And I, I, I've, it had to be intentional because it was so potent in the movie. And I, I was just really impressed by that. There's also a, a musical number that takes place in a cathedral. Um, I don't remember the musical pieces. I'm not, I'm not, a, I, I don't, I wasn't really familiar with, with music, but um, there's a musical number in a, in a, in a cathedral. that was an astounding piece of filmmaking. Uh, again, camera work was just incredible. Uh, Bradley Cooper spent, I want to say, six years learning how to conduct like um, like this conduct. I gosh, I'm spacing on his name, uh, Leonard Bernstein. I Leonard think. Bur- yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it just it just in- incredible uh, his, it, that kind of dedication. That, and he he focused on it for that one scene. Um, just absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, there there's so many good things about about the movie. But to me, the camera work was just. So, so cool and and just just an incredible creative choice that uh i i haven't seen a ton of a ton of that in in any movies really but uh for this year that 
really stuck out in uh, in 2023. So yeah, Maestro for my uh, my number eight. Nice. I didn't connect with it as much, but I definitely agree about the camera work is is amazing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mike, did you get a chance to see Maestro? I did not. Ah. Uh, okay. Well, I will go ahead and bring us to our number, my number eight. <laughs> my number eight is uh, Poor Things by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, I reviewed it in episode 407 with my friend Mitch uh, Ringenberg, uh, who just got married uh, this past weekend. So congratulations, Mitch. Um, yeah. So Poor Things was a movie that I was not that... Um, I was not that excited about, honestly. Yorgos Lanthimos is a filmmaker that I just never have a strong connection with. I enjoyed The Favorite, but everything else I've seen of him, of his work, just feels like there's something that I can't really quantify how or articulate how it makes me feel just uneasy in like a weird way. He's so out there and, and peculiar with his filmmaking that... It's just, it's it's a little bit too weird for me is the best way I can describe it. So I wasn't looking forward to poor things, but what blew me away about it is the way that it, it just is this fully fleshed out story of this woman who is created, like it's a Frankenstein's monster situation, um, and she is learning about the world as she is experiencing it. And it's something that's just really... Uh, well-drawn in terms of characterization, um, the way that she navigates the world. It's so weird. It's its very offbeat, like Yorgos Lanthimos is, is known for, but the character arc is so interesting and unique. And it's something that we talked about in uh, episode 407 with Mitch. He had pointed out that it is a weirdly positive um, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos movie. It's not that cynical it's not that like Lanthimos brand cynicism. It is a more positive affirming movie uh, story. And it's something that just really, really uh, connected with me um, in terms, in, in terms of visuals and just like, it's, it's so peculiar. It's like Yorgos Lanthimos and like uh, Terry Gilliam mushed together. Um, and it's just, it's really, really, it's really something. It's one of the most unique and interesting movies I saw in 2023. And it also was uh, awarded accordingly uh, with my critics group, the Indiana Film Journalist Association. It actually got the most awards for a single movie in the IFJ history. Uh, Holy cow. Yeah, it got like, I think, eight awards total. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I'm very, very proud uh, to have put my initials down for that um, because I was very proud of uh, or very, very pleased with poor things. And that's why it's my number eight. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Mike, your number seven. My number seven is scream six. Nice. Uh, and there was no doubt that this was going to end up on my end of the year list. I obviously am a scream super fan. Uh, and you know, uh, I don't know that it's the best one and I or it's the best sequel and I think there is still some debate to be had whether uh this one or Scream 22 is the better one uh but I am on the side that this is the better one uh to take it somewhere new uh after a couple uh, after a back-to-back Woodsboro movies um I thought that was cool it was refreshing the 
Scream 22 is excellent, and I love that movie. But in that legacy sequel style, it is pretty well the plot of the first one rehashed again. And it is a love letter, but a beautiful love letter to fans. But this one, like most sequels to legacy sequels get to do, uh, is it took it in a different direction. And I liked bringing it to New York. I thought that um, the chase sequences were better than five and some of the best since two. Uh, I thought the... um, the ghost face behaviors like ghost face as the killer, not as like the identity beneath the mask, mm-hmm. uh, but like the, the physicality and uh, some of the, the like the over the top violence in this one was really intense. Um, the, the, the chase scenes were interesting. The scares were interesting. And I think that it really developed the, the so-called core four, uh, that were introduced in Scream 5 in a way that really made me fall for them and and kind of root for them toward the end of the movie. I don't think that the the killer reveals are great. I, I think they're some of the, the weakest killer motivations of the franchise, um, but I'm having so much fun throughout the rest of it that uh, I'm able to kind of like allow it its ending. Uh, all that said, the, the fact that we're not getting a scream seven or we're not getting a scream seven. Um, we're not getting a sequel to this movie like this. Yeah. this the sister story is over. Um, and that's incredibly disappointing and in watching my favorite film franchise dissolve, go yeah. from w- my favorite entry since scream two to on the verge of like not existing in a calendar year yeah. uh, is so disappointing I, I can't even believe it but anyway um if it is the last entry who who knows or for whatever version of the this franchise we get if it's the last one of that um it's a heck of a way to go out scream six yeah i it was on my honorable mentions it's not on my top 10 it probably should have been on my top 10 yeah i'm a little surprised about that uh, yeah it it kind of came down I don't, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. I still prefer Scream 5, Scream 22 um, to it, but I can't argue any of those points. Like, yes, the, it, like you, like you fall in love with the core four in this movie and it is, right. it's spectacular. So yeah, that's, that's my big regret is not putting on my top 10, but I <laughs> loved it dearly. You know, when yeah. we re-roll this list in 10 years. We'll... <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> you can put it on there. Yeah. Uh, Tiny, yeah. any thoughts on Scream 6? or? Yeah, I, I preferred Scream 2022 as well, or Scream 5, whatever you want to call it. I liked the, um, like you mentioned, uh, pillar motivations, I guess, and the Scream 2022 was like one of my favorite versions of that. Uh, me too, just, yes. Yeah, yeah. just so, uh, just because it's so topical, I think. Right. I, I really liked that. Mm. Yep. That was cool. Yep. Yeah. And to, and to speak briefly about Ghostface in uh, in Scream 6, I do want to say uh, b- the Gail Weathers uh, phone call is, I would say, gun to my head or cell phone to my head, probably the best phone scene since Randy in Scream 2. Like, oh, wow. Just yeah. the way it plays out is just wonderful. I, one of the big sticking points that I had in like, like one of the big things that I always point to when I talk about Scream 6 is that in that phone call, like the, the way that Ghostface says, like just says the line, isn't it weird how we've never talked on the phone before? And like, 
just that simple line of dialogue where it's yes. like the ghost face who is calling Gale is personifying yes. ghost face as an entity. And it's like, that's, that's what we talk about. We've talked yeah. about this before. I love the idea that, that ghost face and I don't like the movie is not, uh, uh, pretending to be mythical or metaphysical right. or anything like that. It's not, it, I mean, they're real people, but the idea that there's some psychological or, or, presentational difference uh that when when it's ghostface it's ghostface as an entity yes and i think that's so cool in yeah in into even uh like in regards or in relation to scream 5 like this is a switch up on on the core level of scream to my to my uh in my in my view because like Scream Five is all about you know uh, the Stab franchise and and the legacy of what it is to Woodsboro and all of that. This is like it starts with Ghostface in the in the opening saying, "Who gives a fuck about movies?" Yeah, and so like that in relation to the Gale call is like, it's like yeah, this is this is the Ghostface entity. Like it's uh, Ghostface is in his entity yeah. era. Well, he's in uh, his new nightmare yes. era, right? Uh, uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. I yep. think it. I think it kind of takes a little bit of inspiration from there. If we're Absolutely. pretending Ghostface is an entity, where it's not so much about the movies. I mean, you know, Stab exists in canon in Scream Six, but mm-hmm. this killer is retracing the actual Ghostface yep. killing. I, I think that's such an inspired take. Uh, I also think so much of that movie is an homage to Scream 2, right? It, it yes. is a sequel to Scream 5, uh, and I love that that mirroring effect. Yep, yep. Um, I yeah. can't believe, I can't believe Scream I know. 7. I just can't believe it. I know. I know. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll table the scream talk because this could turn into its own yeah, episode. I know. You're right. Tiny, anyway, Tiny, yeah. go ahead, buddy. Tiny, your number, we're on seven? Yeah. Yeah. Seven, number seven. Yeah. No worries, guys. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so my number seven is uh, Extraction 2. Um, what Probably the most fun I had with an action movie this year, um, like, a, like a true, um, yeah, die in, died in the wool action movie. Um, I, so I, I don't know a lot about the director. His name's Sam Hargrave. There isn't a lot about him on IMDb, but if you look at his, his career, he is most successful as a, as a stunt coordinator and a fight coordinator. And it's amazing how that skill transferred into directing because it feels like the, the camera operators, when they make these movies have to be stunt guys because, I mean, they're 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 taking a camera that's being held on on a guy, being held by a guy on a motorcycle, and they're handing it to a guy inside a car to capture a shot. I mean, it's it's just it's just amazing what they achieve from a filmmaking standpoint with these movies. And I'm I'm just I can't take my eyes off the screen when 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 the action ramps up in in these extraction movies. And I'm I'm just so blown away by them. I mean, that the, there's not incredible acting there's not incredible writing but the action is as good as it gets in my opinion um i i think i kind of prefer um kind of prefer the action in these movies over like john wick um john wick is much more traditional where you know you have like the uh choreographed fighting um gunfighting and hand-to-hand combat it's really impressive it's awesome and i like those john wick's john wick movies 
uh, borderline love them, but the extraction movies take the choreography and make the make it part of the filmmaking. Like the the, the choreography is, uh, like the 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 camera work becomes part of the choreography, and and it's so evident when you watch the movie. It's so impressive, and I'm I'm just blown away by it every time I watch these movies. So, um. I don't have much else to say about them. You know, like I said, the acting isn't incredible. The writing isn't incredible. It's, it's not nothing to hang your hat on when it comes to that stuff, but just, just, you cannot look away from the action. It's just so incredible. And, uh, I, I really hope they make a third one. It's, uh, it's, it's an incredible series of movies. So yeah, my number seven extraction too. That's interesting. I haven't seen either of those movies, but, uh, yeah, I'm curious about them now. Yeah, for sure. They're written by the Russo brothers. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. huh. Nice. Yep. Um, my number seven is the most fun I had with an action movie this year. Um, <laughs> it is something that Mike has already talked about. John Wick Chapter 4. Um, and I did a review of it on Patreon in a Patreon potpourri episode. Um, at the end of the year, I do Patreon potpourri where I do award season viewing um, uh, reviews and everything. So... John Wick Chapter 4 is kind of interesting to me because I didn't watch it. I I watched it kind of late in the game because it was getting some traction in the IFGA like nominations list and everything. Um, and I didn't watch it. I, I, I held off on watching it specifically because I'm weird and like I hadn't I, I still have not seen two or three. I I have not <laughs> seen John Wick two or three. Yeah. So I have, I've saw the first John Wick in like 2015, uh, or maybe 2014. And then I haven't seen a single John Wick movie since then. Um, and so I, I watched John Wick chapter four, knowing that I couldn't catch up on two and three, because I mean, that would be two movies I would, that would have two less movies I would have watched for awards consideration had I watched those in preparation for John Wick chapter four. So fortunately you don't really need to know much about anything in it. Um, But my God, John Wick chapter four is a two hour and 49 minute wall to wall action movie that it is astonishing to me how it's able to just keep that momentum for almost three hours. And I talked about it in the, uh, the IFJ, um, wrap up episode that we did at the end of the year, um, with, with, uh, Andy, um, that basically John Wick chapter four does a thing where it's two hours of wall to wall action. And then it introduces the kind of final thing that's about to happen. And it introduces it as like this, like it's like I'm thinking like okay we just had two hours of just wall to wall amazing action choreography stunts all of that now we're gonna have this subdued finale where it's going to be like a pistols at dawn thing and then the movie goes even harder with the action for the last forty five <laughs> minutes and I'm yes, like it it's amazing like you you Mike mentioned the the uh, the cars and the motorcycles and stuff there's a there's a scene in the movie. That's in the trailer where like it's around like the big circle thing and and wherever they're at. Is that Rome? I don't know. But uh or Paris. I don't know. I don't it's not America. Paris. So. <laughs> Paris, there we go. Uh but it, where they're going around the big the big thing and two people get just hit by a car and <laughs> as they're in the air, John Wick fo- like kills them with with gunshots. Like 
And I'm just like, what the, like, that is amazing. Just like that is incredible. Um, and there's just something to the like gun foo thing where like, I will never get tired of seeing like John Wick do like a close combat gunshot kill shot. Like, it's so weird because, like, you don't see that in a lot of action movies where it's just, like, you know, it's a lot of, like, gunfight. This is, like, close quarter combat stuff. Also, Donnie Yen was amazing. Just so good. So good. That that whole, like, fight scene in the, like, museum or wherever it was where he, where John Wick has the nunchucks, I'm, like, I, like, I, I want to, like, this movie is amazing. I just want to hug this movie. Um absolutely fantastic i i loved it john wick chapter four it's my number seven and i do want to say that chad stahelski who uh is the director he also tiny uh was keanu reeves uh, stunt double for many years uh so he comes from mm-hmm. a stunt background but he is attached to uh adapt the playstation game ghost of tsushima and like i I hope that it happens. I hope that it gets off. I hope I, I, I want like, I want this movie to happen with him at the helm because it would be incredible. Uh, cause I love that game. Uh, so that's my number seven. It is John wick chapter four. I adored it. It's, it's phenomenal. Yep. And, and the dragon's breath stuff is uh, like jaw dropping, jaw dropping. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. yep. Nice. Yep. Yeah, I I preferred I much preferred chapter three. I thought it was better. Mm-hmm. There's a I think it's either two or three. I think it's three where he fights he fights the two guys from raid two at the oh, same time. Oh, interesting. And it's like fifteen minutes nonstop. That, wow. Yeah, I I I preferred three myself. But yeah, four. I mean, definitely nothing to uh, to be upset about mm-hmm. in chapter four. Yeah. yeah, it's such a bummer to me that Mission Impossible kind of just didn't. Like didn't yeah. really have an effect on me oh, at all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That was a bummer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, the guys, the guys who do, who kind of created that style of gunfighting, Terran Tactical, they have their own YouTube channel. Oh, you really? Yeah, they're nice. out in. I want to say like out west somewhere, California, Utah, something like that. I can't remember, but yeah. Interesting. If you okay. want, you can go out there. They'll train you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> if they're in Utah, Robert, if you're listening, I'll I'll crash on your couch and I'll go fire some guns. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's my number seven, John Wick chapter four. Mike, do you want to bring us into your number six? Yeah, my number six is The Iron Claw. Uh, which is the last movie I saw on this list. Uh, and actually, I saw it in January, but mm. uh, it counts because it's a 2023 yep. movie. And we um, give us and, a, that buffer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what I loved so much about the Iron Claw, well, I, I loved a lot about the Iron Claw. Uh, I, I think the way that it films um, professional wrestling, wrestling in a loving way uh, was really interesting and beautiful to watch. Uh, the the 70s period style was really cool. I think uh, the physicality of the actors, especially Zac Efron, was incredible. I mean, he looked like a professional wrestler. It was it was wild what what he was able to accomplish, and really his performance in the movie I thought was excellent. What worked so well for me in the Iron Claw um, was this this journey of like the toxic male trope or the or uh, the trope of toxic masculinity, and how um, 
the movie itself kind of plays with that idea. So there's almost two themes happening at the same time or or two halves of the movie play uh, on this theme of masculinity. On one side, it is this very toxic masculine father forcing his kids to do this very masculine uh, uh, sport uh, in a very masculine way, we don't cry, we don't dwell, take off your sunglasses, people are going to see your eyes, we, we're we not going to be upset about this tragedy that has befallen us. Uh, but then on the other half, it's this like real celebration of male bonding um, and brotherhood that that is... Um, like, I think you can have both. And I think so many attempts at um, shining a light on tax, toxic masculinity, which is a good thing to to show uh, the negative effects of tox, toxic masculinity. So much of those movies and stories um, are like all or nothing, where like men are toxic or pro wrestlers are toxic or fathers are all toxic. And it's this chain of toxic masculinity. And the Von Erich brothers... It, it was not a, sh- a chain of this toxic masculinity. They're, the tragedies that happened to them were really like this, uh, they were star-crossed. It was really this sad twists of fate. Um, maybe a, uh, some of the deaths could have been avoided and um, handled differently had the, the, the foundation of that toxicity that their father instilled upon them uh not been laid in the beginning but to see their bond as brothers and their celebration for one another was really a heartwarming experience in the first half of the movie um it's kind of split in two like the first half of the movie is this positive build and their growth uh and then there's the wedding scene where they get married and they do this like family dance that I thought was so beautiful. Uh, There's a younger brother who doesn't necessarily want to be a wrestler uh, and he wants to be a musician and he has a show one night and the parents say, no, you can't go. Uh, And then cut to later on, the brothers sneak out of the house and go and they watch him and they're all celebrating each other. And then when tragedy strikes this family and i won't spoil it but it is a true story you can you can basically google it right away it's incredibly tragic incredibly tragic and one of the complaints about the movie i think is that it doesn't linger on these tragedies long enough but i think i think that's intentional i i think the idea is that when the father says we're not going to dwell on this we're going to keep going the movie then also does the same until it kind of um comes to a head at the end with with i don't want to rank the deaths but probably this culminating death and then there's this final scene that um i'll I'll hesitate to call it a redemption but what it does is it kind of completes that circle of this brotherly love that you see in the beginning of the movie that one of the surviving von erics is then maybe challenging that cycle of toxic masculinity Mm. further. And it's such a beautiful ending and, and um, it's a full arc for a character and it, and it challenges it like portrays toxic masculinity and doesn't let it off the hook. It's a real thing, but it also says dudes can be awesome too, (laughs) right? Like brothers can be bros at the same time. And I, and I just thought it was beautiful. That's really interesting. The movie I didn't I didn't uh connect with it that much, 
but I, I, I noticed. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a really good, uh, really good points you made and everything. One of my issues, and this isn't, gonna, I'm not going to sit here and critique your six favorite movie, but uh, one of the one of the things that I feel like it didn't do quite as well um, is in in basically giving Fritz the father. Um, it kind it kind of didn't really give him uh necessarily a good comeuppance for me like it's it wasn't something that it kind of tr- it kind of felt like it was it held back on demonizing him because uh because of his actions um and that that kind of i don't know and then and then uh i will say like Zac Efron does an incredible gives an incredible performance and like that last line that he says is like it wrecked oh. me it wrecked At the me. line of the year. Yeah, if there was such a thing. I mean, oh yeah. yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes of the entire year. Yeah, yeah, just uh, really good. It, the so the movie itself didn't really uh, connect with me, but I I definitely definitely see the merit in it for sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, tiny. Uh, any thoughts on that, or what's your number six? Uh, I can't wait to see Iron Claw. <clears throat> right. Yeah, you'll love it Miss, for sure. It. Yeah, I'm sure mm-hmm. I will. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's see. That was that was your yeah. Okay, so my number six yep. is uh, Nyad, um, which is also on Netflix. Yes. Um, I don't have a ton to say about the movie. Um, for me, it made the list because of the two performances from Jodie Foster and Annette Bening, yeah. um, and not just their performances individually, but their performances together. Because um, you know, it's 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 a sports cliche. To sit there and talk about how you have a, an individual an individual sport where an individual is competing against other individuals or the elements or whatever, um, and they they always talk about how like oh this this isn't just an individual sport this takes team and it's um, it, it focuses on that and it and it's a cliche but I feel like this movie captured it incredibly well um, most notably through the relationship between those two characters. Um, and talk about perfect actress, actresses to play those roles. Uh, just, just incredible. Um, and it, it was also demonstrated through some of the other characters as well. Um, Risa Fan's character was, was, was really great as well. Um, his, his relationship to the whole, uh, all these multiple attempts at trying to, to, to achieve this thing was just incredible. And, and, and his, his ability to keep showing up you know, year after year for them to try to do this thing. Um, that tension and that, that, uh, that drive from those characters, I, I just, I was so drawn to it. And um, I, I do give the movie credit as well, because it's, like I said, it, it tends to be a bit of a cliche, you know, someone doing something extreme like this is, is not a new idea for a movie, but um, it's still incredible. It's, it's, it's a true story. You know, it's, it's incredible to see someone, reach out and extend the limits of human ability and and naiad for sure did that i mean she spent 70 hours in the ocean that's just un- unbelievable I, I i cannot imagine spending more than an hour in the ocean um <laughs> you know i it's, it's just incredible what she achieved and and again the the that for me it was the relationship between the two of them that was just so incredible and and i hope they both get Oscar nominations for it. Um, yeah, so number six for me, Nyad. 
Nice. Yeah, the, they were they were both fantastic in that movie. And it's interesting, the directors of the, uh, it's their first narrative feature. They previously directed, uh, among other things, uh, Free Solo about the uh, huh. the guy who climbed uh, El Capitan without oh, any right, yeah. So like they are very, very um, aware of how to make like extreme, extreme physical things uh, come to life. So I think that translated well for their first, you know, narrative feature. Nice. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, so my number six is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Uh, a movie in which I did an immediate reaction recording on Patreon on July 19th. I also wrote a review and we reviewed it on episode 395 of the podcast, me, me and Tiny did, which also just as an asterisk here, that is by far the biggest episode of the year in terms of downloads. It, like Barbenheimer was a thing. Like it's, It was big, <laughs> which let me actually just briefly talk about that. The phenomenon of Barbenheimer, like it was a fun, like meme, meme thing. But like, I felt so like uplifted as a movie fan to like go to the theater and see people lining up dressed as Barbie, like dressed in pink and like having this like pop culture phenomenon of these two movies that are, in some strange ways, a little similar, but also like these two big tentpole releases that on the surface are very, very like opposite of each other. And to see that catch the attention of the internet and pop culture and have that be such a success at the box office is so heartwarming to me as someone who like, I had anxiety in 2020 when specifically Mike when when theaters shut down, I vividly remember you saying in our chat, saying that you thought at the time that we were maybe seeing the death of movie theaters. And like, yeah, I remember that. And like, yeah, that was was a possibility. Maybe continues to be a possibility. Let's see what happens in the future. But like, like, it's just so nice that in 2020, I had those concerns and I had that anxiety. And then here in 2023, uh, Greta Gerwig, Christopher Nolan, and Taylor Swift also, like, just uh, yeah. dominated, like, the movie-going experience. And I'm just so pleased with that. But uh, to talk about Oppenheimer as a movie, I'm someone who has been hot and cold on Christopher Nolan in the last, like, 10 years, basically. Um, I didn't really care for uh, Interstellar. I also didn't really care for Tenet. Um, but the movies I do like of his are some of my favorite movies of all time. So it's a very weird kind of uh, relationship I have with Christopher Nolan movies. But Oppenheimer, I think, is such a a massive step forward for, for him. It still has all the trademarks of Christopher Nolan. Like one of the big sticking points I had with it, or one of the, one of the light criticisms I had of it is that the end of the movie as impactful and powerful and, and successful as it is as an ending to a movie, it is like the template that he has had for the end of most of his big movies. (laughs) Like, it's just like, like the bare bones skeleton of it is like, okay, let's have, let's have this big money shot scene where characters say a couple of like very profound lines and then we'll have the title screen come up and then, 
you know, we'll have we'll have uh, Hans Zimmer or this time around Ludwig Göransson uh, score to bring us out of the movie. Um, but like watching it again, even like those like little misgivings I had that plus uh, I felt like my memory of the movie in between the the first viewing and the second viewing, uh, I felt like Florence Pugh's character kind of fell victim to uh, a lot of the issues that Christopher Nolan has had with writing women characters. Um, but as a biopic and as a movie that tells a story about, you know, what humanity is capable of, what like this American Prometheus is, is, was, was doing and created and like the fear that that instills on the possible destruction of the human race is just a magnificent it is some of the best way like it's some of the best christopher nolan like story structure and storytelling that i've seen him do in years and it's something i'm i'm elated about uh, elated about because i'm someone who i've i've not really taken to some of his more recent work so it's really great to just be kind of blown away by it um and and it's it's fantastic oppenheimer my number six awesome yeah I'll be talking about it later. Nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, Mike, do you want to go ahead and get us into our top fives? Top five, top five, top half. Here we go. Uh, so my number five is Barbie. And I'm going to try not to nice. say too much because, Matt, I know you're going to talk about Barbie. And I think we shared a lot of the same feelings about Barbie. Mm. But I think what delighted me so much about Barbie uh, is the surprise of it, right? Like, um, I had an idea of what this movie was going. Well, there was a whole group of people who had an idea what this movie was going to be yeah. going in. They just, I just wanted it to be more of a Barbie movie. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but I, you know, I had this idea of the meta humor where it's the doll who goes into the real world. And so there was a little bit um in in kind of the beginning of the second act where she goes to Mattel and she's with um you know talking with Will Ferrell that I that is like the weakest part of the movie for me and and there was a moment where I was like oh man people love this movie and this scene is like exactly what I thought it was going to be it's kind of like this meta thing that's a little funny but not super hilarious and like mm -hmm. we've seen this before and then she goes back to the Barbie world and the movie goes up a whole other notch where it's not this meta commentary uh, on the real world and real world expectations. And it's not sexism and it's not about the patriarchy, but it's about identity and it's about Barbie finding her identity when her entire story has been scripted and she goes into the real world and she has a different identity. And then she comes back and has to reclaim her identity from Ken, who is also uh, discovering his identity. And, and there's not this, um, you mentioned a comeuppance moment in uh, the iron claw. Like mm -hmm. nobody gets comeuppance in Barbie there. It's just this understanding of different identities. Um, one of the, my favorite lines of the year is when uh, he asks Barbie if he wants to go to the back to the beach and he can play guitar at you. <laughs> yes. And I have used that line, play guitar at you, so many times <laughs> since I've seen it uh, because I think that that is so... Um, <laughs> Gosh, I've just I've never heard it said that way. That like that 
that male insistence upon uh, greatness. Like, you're going to love that I'll play guitar. Um, <laughs> I just love calling that out. I think that I think that that's so great. And, and that line, um, so many laugh out loud moments, like the whole I'm just Ken uh, dance scene. Uh, Ryan Gosling is just one of the greatest things that's ever happened. Um, and yeah. so is this movie. Number five, Barbie. Yeah. Well, well said, well said, and I'll talk about it later. Yeah. So good. Yeah, me too. Nice. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Uh, tiny, what is your number five? Uh, my number five is guardians of the galaxy volume three. Nice. Um, I, I chose it because, uh, I know you talked about it earlier, Matt. Um, I, totally echo what you said i i think i really liked the creative choices of the movie as as well in addition to what you said because um i I think it would have been easy to focus on the lost love aspect between star lord and gamora you know uh and and of course it's addressed it has to be addressed um but I, i i love that they shifted focus to rocket so much yeah um because i it's he's he's the He's the the right hand man. He is the pseudo, the the pseudo leader of the group. You know, it's 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 a joke that's played at uh, since the first movie came out. Who's the actual captain of the ship? Who's really leading the crew? And so we we didn't have a clear idea of his backstory, and he's so pivotal to the group. Um, you could make the argument that he's not, um, he's not particularly skilled as far as what the group does right he he kind of gets lucky a lot and like he um he can shoot a gun and like that's about it you know like like all these other like gamora is super strong and powerful and uh star lord is he can fly around and and do all this stuff and he like like rockets a little raccoon who can shoot a gun and that's about (laughs) it and but but he's so important to the group for other reasons and because he's he's smart, he knows how to figure things out. He's a great leader and all those things. And I've, I've always loved that about his character. And so for him to get a backstory is just just perfect. It's a perfect way to end a trilogy. And, and it, it's a perfect way to um, cut the tension of that, that exists in the group and and bring everything back, rip rip all these characters down to back down to reality. Um, and I, it was just a great way to, 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 to lead a great direction to lead the movie in. And, um, also to echo what you said, Matt, the, the emotional journey of the movie is incredibly powerful. I mean, I, I, you know, (laughs) we were talking about, uh, this being a cat podcast and Matt (laughs) or uh, Mike just got, just got cats and everything. And, and you talked about how you're not, not like big on other people's pets and stuff like that. Um, which I totally understand. That's fine. Um, but I'm the opposite. Like I'm not, I don't necessarily consider myself an animal person, but like I I've really changed in that regard. Like I am truly, I truly adore my dog and like, he's mm-hmm. a part of my family and like, he's amazing. And I, I love dogs in general and, and other animals. And so to, to see the animals in this movie, going through what they go through was like some of the hardest emotional stuff I had to go through all year. I mean, it was, it was so difficult. And I think tapped into that notion that animal people have, uh, without being like overt or without being cheesy or like, um, 
it wasn't like Marley and me, you know what I mean? Mm. Where it's like, you know, that the goal of this movie is to grab animal people and make them cry. Right. That's, that's what Marley and me was, but I don't think that's what this movie was. It was just, it felt, it just felt grounded. It, it, that, that backstory felt grounded to me and it was just so, so rewarding and, and tragic at the same time. And I also appreciated the conclusions of the movie. You know, I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but again, you could have had this whole love story aspect that would have fallen into cliches and been maybe not been bad, but been predictable. And they didn't go that route. And I respect the movie for that. So, um, so many reasons to love Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm going to miss them a lot because mm-hmm. they were just, I, I, it was so unexpected from the get go. I remember when the movie was announced, the first one, I was like, what the hell is this? What's <laughs> like, there's a tree that talks like in a raccoon. What's going to go on with this is weird. And mm-hmm. it turned out to be a lot of people's favorite characters and favorite part of the MCU. Yeah. Uh, and for good reason. I, I, I love the send off that uh, James Gunn and everybody gave them. It was a great movie. So yeah. Number five for me, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Uh, Mike, is Guardians on your list anywhere? It is. It is not. I, I thought it was. Um, I don't know. I don't even feel bad that it's not on my list. I don't know <laughs> what it is about the Guardians movie that they're they're just like they're great. I think that they're upper tier MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I just forget about them. I don't know. I, I need to do a little more of a deep dive. I don't feel mm-hmm. like I'm explaining myself well enough, but there there's just something that holds me back from absolutely loving guardians of the galaxy movies. Cause I agree that they're great, but mm-hmm. I, it was, I don't know. That's, I had, it, I had it below Thanksgiving on my honorable mentions. Mm. That's, that's interesting because it, um, it, it seems like they're the most disconnected of the MCU. And, and yeah, even though they tie together in Infinity War and Endgame and all that, but um, they do seem like they're they're a more clear vision from a filmmaker yeah. than the other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as I said before, the MCU just took such a tailspin nosedive this year for me. Right. Um, that yeah. So I don't know. Um, but I will go ahead and bring uh, my number five to the table, um, and I will I will grip the severed hand and talk to me is my number five. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. I did an immediate reaction on Patreon on August nineteenth. Um, <clears throat> talk to me is such for all the things that Mike said wholeheartedly agree. Um, the central concept of this like party game, this party thing, um, is so unique and interesting in the way that it just like, it, it uses that as this launching off point for like a possession story or, a, a like the, it's a unique spin on like a seance, uh, like, like theme of a, of a horror movie. And, like the grief stuff is like, yeah, I do understand like the grief and horror is like, they go hand in hand, no pun intended. Um, but they go hand in hand and it's a very popular thing to explore in the horror genre. And I think that it explores it incredibly well in talk to me. And like I mentioned that leave the world behind has a great punchline of an ending. Talk to me's ending was like one of those things Uh, where, like, I I mentioned in the uh, theater viewings section of the episode that I was squirming in my seat. I was like, I was so invested in this movie. It was such an interesting thing because first of all, the opening of the movie is staggeringly good. 
Like yeah. it brings you into it. You, it is, it is shocking. It's awesome. Um, and then throughout from the beginning to right up to the end, I'm sitting there like I'm, I'm, I want to hide my eyes from the screen cause I'm scared of like what's to come and like the violence and, and like, like the idea of people not being able to control what's in their body is, is very, very compelling as a horror vessel. Um, but when it gets to the ending, I like after spending an hour and a half hour, 45 minutes, just squirming in my seat, being like having my heart rate, just pulsating like very fast, rapidly. Uh, like when I, when I caught on to what they were leading toward with the ending, I had the biggest shit eating grin on my face (laughs) and I thought it was a perfect ending. It was, it was so perfect. So perfect. I don't want them to make talk to me too, but same. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Yeah. I also want, yeah. But I also want to see more of this, <laughs> yeah. this and everything. So yeah, from yeah. The, from from that team of filmmakers and and that angle, I I do want more of that. But mm-hmm. I do uh, that story is done and it oh, felt one hundred percent in such an excellent way. Um, gosh, I don't I don't want to I don't want to reveal too much about it because yeah, it's an advertisement for talk to me. Go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but how the ending kind of pays off the um, the grief and the and the coping that I kind of talked about is uh, it's perfect. It's intense. It's it's such a chef's kiss of an ending. I loved it. Yep. 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 Yeah. Uh, one of my yeah. one of my favorite endings of the year for sure. Yeah. Um, nice. And I I really should have had it as an honorable mention on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the movie a lot. Um, and I think you're talking about a. a sequel or how it, it does not need a sequel i fully agree yeah. i think a prequel might be kind of cool like the origin mm. of the hand yeah that would be that cool be, yeah. Yeah, to possibly work yeah mm. or something just completely disconnected from the story in the first one because i think right. that the yeah the lore that they have is very strong like there's something to that and like <laughs> <laughs> like I saw online somewhere that like I think A24 is selling like co- like like merchandise of the hand and I'm like that's a no-brainer that's perfect. <laughs> um, nice. It's so good. Uh so that's my number 5 talk to me and Mike would you like to talk to me about your number 4? <laughs> sure, you give me a little bit of air time over here to talk about my number 4. Nice. Uh so this is I it's kind of my dark heart horse uh my dark horse uh this year. One where if you if you want to kind of give me a bit of a side eye for this one, I'll <laughs> allow it. Um but Air, uh the the Nike Michael Jordan Air Jordan shoe uh movie by Ben Affleck. I had so much fun with this movie. It is an ultimate ultimate dad movie. <laughs> like I will fess up to like if that, if I had seen this movie before I had kids, I don't know that it would have had the same effect, mm. but there there is something that happens when you have a kid that you just like a different kind of movies. You, you, <laughs> it's just like ultimate dad movie. Um I love seeing Matt and Ben reuniting on screen. Mm. I mean, I know I know we got that in the last duel uh last year, which Only was also sort great movie. of really. By the way, go see the last duel. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. That oh, yeah. movie is so seek it out, the most underseen movie of the last couple of years. Amazing, amazing movie. Anyway, whatever. Uh so Ben Affleck is like hit after hit after hit uh directing. 
Um, Jason Bateman is just Jason Bateman. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Tucker is doing great work. Viola Davis as Michael Jordan's mom is amazing. Um, everybody in the movie is so great. And I think it was kind of a cool touch that they never showed Michael Jordan. Like, how how could you show that mm-hmm. kind of greatness on scene? Um, I... I have said multiple times on this podcast that I grew up in Chicago. The Chicago Bulls were a massive, massive, massive part of my upbringing. So um, the the events of this movie are a little bit before my time. I don't remember the Bulls drafting mm. Michael Jordan at all. Um, but to kind of watch it happen and, and, and watch how they pitched him the shoe and pitched him the deal and talked about his greatness. Um, it's a weird movie to kind of root for uh rich people getting richer <laughs> like it's it's uh barely a rags to riches story it's like a somewhat riches to more riches story and it's not really the type of story we need uh in 2023 and it kind of goes against some of the other movies <laughs> i loved this year but i don't know everybody on screen is having so much fun they're really giving it their all i connected with the nostalgia of the movie uh and when i think about my lists and movies I'll definitely watch again. Air is absolutely a movie I'll watch again. I loved it. Nice. And that's available on Prime wow. Video. Correct. Uh, yeah. Tiny, did you see Air? N- no, and, and I hate to say it, but I could not be less interested in it. <laughs> um, I get sorry, that. Sorry, Mike. I'm I sorry. get that. I just, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. But having, having said that, Mike, you mentioned the, the Bulls, Chicago Bulls. Have you yeah. watched The Last Dance? Oh, documentary yes. show. oh my gosh uh, yeah Un- unbelievable television I love documentary it. making yep. so good if I, remember, need to watch if I remember correctly i think the year that it came out during our top 10 i think i mentioned like it's okay. uh, it's not a movie but it, if we were doing kind of all media it, mm-hmm. it was my number one yeah i loved it a lot so good yeah nice yeah. anyway um, sorry didn't yeah. need to distract that. But. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I I didn't really connect with air all that much, but I will say that the monologue that uh, that he gives at the end, uh, just about yeah. the great, the impending about greatness of Michael greatness, Jordan. Greatness, yes. That yep. that's one of my favorite scenes of the year. It's so effective. It's so good. Um, so yeah, I also didn't know that they find Michael Jordan for having. Uh, more than two colors on his shoe. Oh, yeah. Every game. And Nike just, <laughs> pro- like, they loved the design so much that they promised to pay the fine. <laughs> That's so awesome. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, and yeah, I didn't I didn't really care that much about the movie, all, all told. But I do think that there is something to be said. I, I had mentioned that I'm kind of tired of the, like, corporate true story kind of uh, trend that's going, I guess. But there is a certain like, I don't know, upbeat nature to air that I think is, is commendable. It's very, like you said, it's a weird movie. It's fun. It's, it makes like stuffy boardroom talk or stuffy, like deal making talk. It makes it fun. Chris Messina is fantastic in it. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. The whole cast looks like they're having fun, and exactly. you kind of know because they know each other. Yeah, and um, you know, Matt and Ben 
being together. You mm-hmm. know that they have a history and they, I, it really felt like, I wouldn't even call it a passion project, but it mm-hmm. just felt like a fun project. It's, yeah. it's kind of like when um, Adam Sandler's goons get together <laughs> yes. and film a vacation <laughs> yeah. and have fun. This is a little more elevated that than mm-hmm. that, but not significantly <clears throat> more elevated than that. Um, yeah. Like I said, if you want to come at me for putting this on my top 10, <laughs> I, I have no defense for it, uh, except that it's, you know, like the the Venn diagram of interests. Yeah. Uh, I'm right smack dab in the center of what this movie had to <laughs> yeah. offer. Totally understandable. Uh, Tiny, what is your number four? Uh, my number four is Barbie. Um, nice. And of course, I will echo what what Mike said. Um, I, I fully agree with that. But uh, yeah, to, to me, it's the. I, I feel like there's so many ways for a wide audience to connect to this movie, and of course, there's it's you know quote unquote politically charged, um, whatever that means. But because <laughs> the you know there was such a reaction to this, of course, because feminism and uh you know masculinity all that when anytime you tackle those as a theme in any way you're going to have a reaction from douchebags and and of course that happened here but i i I so appreciated the male side of this movie because it's we don't get to see this that often you know we, we don't get to see a vulnerable man who doesn't know who he is uh we, we don't we don't get to see him um not not succeeding struggling so much he's struggling so much i i feel like it it was hilarious and i appreciated it for its comedy but i just thought it was it was perfect that it it wasn't it wasn't that he was struggling so bad and everyone else was succeeding like like mike was saying everyone was struggling for their identity and i i just appreciated the fact that he was screwing up and not succeeding and and struggling so much and everybody was like that's fine like don't uh-huh. it's okay and and as 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 a community men need to have that attitude we need to understand that it's okay to not you know there's that that's almost becoming a cliche at this point it's okay to not be okay and and mm-hmm. that's becoming yeah. part of our our zeitgeist and our conversation and i think yeah. ken in this movie exemplifies that and talk about a message that needs to be out more and that needs to be uh you know uh disseminated amongst our amongst our society more and and the fact that it was done so well with an iconic character and um you know uh, that that was my favorite part of the movie was the whole the whole uh, everything to do with Ken and and mm. and I don't feel bad saying that cuz I'm a guy and I have to find a way to relate to this and that's how I related to it um not that I necessarily have the same struggles that ken does um <laughs> but and you know of course everything else about the movie is amazing too uh, the, the the iconic now iconic speech by america ferrera about the it's impossible to be a woman i mean mm. how again talk about a message that needs to be disseminated amongst our society that mm-hmm. something that we need to understand especially as guys we need to understand that and i there were things in that speech that i don't respect enough or that i haven't uh yeah, what is given. what did she say when she said something and I, and I might switch around but she's like they want 
they want us to be their mother, but not their mom. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I was like right. so embarrassed. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm so stupid. Right. I, yeah. Like it got me. It worked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, stuff, stuff like this has made me as a person be more aware of what people are going through. Like this, mm-hmm. this movie. Uh-huh. This movie is an example of that. I'm not saying it's the best it's the best movie to ever do it or anything, but uh it it did a damn good job. And uh I I love um uh gosh, I am this terrible I'm spacing on her name. Um Margaret Robbie? Greta Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig. Yes, yes. I, I am I, I, I think I actually prefer her version of Little Little Women. I think that might be her best work. Um, but uh she she is an incredible writer, filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a good actor too. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I hope she keeps making movies, and um, I think this was the perfect Barbie movie. Um, there's talk about more Mattel movies coming out, and I don't know how that's going to work out, but maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Man, I think your analysis is so great and so spot on. Yep, that's so, and that's such a great. Um, gosh, not even that you're making an argument or or reacting to, but I do think we're living in a in like a like a post feminine feminism era where like um when it really became hyper politically charged, it was very anti men and men are like the patriarchy is ruining everything, which to some extent you know that's not too far off right um, they, have a, they have a point they have a point. <clears throat> And, and uh, yeah, I don't want to. I, I don't want to come off like I that I'm against that. <laughs> My point is that so many movies d- kind of um, depicted men as those bumbling fools and those mm. bad guys, and you could point to men in man in a movie and say, "Oh yeah, that their behavior is the problem." But but kind of like you said, this was the year of like vulnerability and men. And like offering men an opportunity to redeem some of the mistakes they've made in climbing to the top and saying, do you see now why we feel women? Do you see now why we feel the way we feel? It's because you behave this way and it's okay to be vulnerable. I think Mm -hmm. the Iron Claw does that. I think Ken does that. Uh, Godzilla, which we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. is an incredibly vulnerable movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really spot on. I I don't know. I like that a lot, Tiny. Yeah, well, well said. And uh, and yeah, I'll talk about it here soon. (laughs) But yeah, very, very, very good movie. Um, and yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, watching, I've watched a couple of Noah Baumbach movies, uh, recently, uh, one of which being Greenberg, um, which mm, she's great in that. fantastic. And it's funny yeah. just as a brief aside, I, I remember like, like decades ago at this point, tiny, I remember for some reason, like when we both had, or when you had like a Netflix by mail, like account before the age of streaming and everything. I remember like you lent me Greenberg on DVD that you got from Netflix and it sat on my DVD player for, I think months. Um, (laughs) and, (laughs) and you were so nice to not at least express how annoyed you were at that. (laughs) But eventually I think I was just like, I'm never going to watch this. Okay. I'll just, I'll just send it back for him. 
It couldn't um, have been that bad because I don't remember that at all. So. Yeah, <laughs> I I thought about that as I was watching it. And yeah, Greta Gerwig is just a treasure. Oh, I also watched Francis Ha, which, holy crap, incredible. Uh, I, I haven't seen that one. It's, I've heard it's great, though. It's incredible. I will uh, send you a DVD and you can have it on your <laughs> on your table <laughs> for months. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Barbie's great. Uh, going into my number four, uh, it is The Holdovers. Uh, I did a review of it in Patreon Potpourri, episode 27 in December on Patreon for the $5 and above tiers. Um, it was part of my award season coverage. Uh, The Holdovers just was such a, a, a magnificent, um, exercise in, creating like a not even a nostalgia but it's just an essence of 70s um it it is so ingrained in the 70s like culture of the setting and in the filmmaking it looks like a 70s movie the choices that alexander payne makes uh it like it looks like they're like one of the ones that i keep pointing out um when i think about this movie is like when he, when Paul Giamatti is looking for, uh, Dominic Sessa and he goes to like, he opens the door to the big building he's in on campus and he looks outside and like, there's just this like fast zoom out to show to just how like Dominic Sessa is nowhere to be found. And like, there's just, there's something so like vintage about that. And something that I talked about in uh, Patreon Potpourri and on my letterbox blurb was that it's it's so refreshing to see a filmmaker do something that is so clearly tied to potentially to nostalgia that they have, but not make it about the nostalgia. It is not like it's yes. not like a J.J. Yes. Abrams thing or it's not like a Zack Snyder shitting on Kurosawa uh, or anything like that. It is like this. It is this aesthetic that he puts into the movie that is to tell the story. And the story... It's about the people. It's the about, the, about people. the people. And it's incredible. It is incredible. The way that they bond, the, like the three central characters, the way that they bond and grow together, it is so organically done. And it has some of the most just brilliant and biting dialogue I've seen all year. It is amazing. It It's amazing. And I'm sh- like... I will yield that because I know that Mike is going to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but it's the holdovers is amazing. It is currently streaming on Peacock. Um, watch it. It is. It's so good and uh, an, incre- an incredible performances across the board. Um, I, I I love this movie so much. Nice. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it later too. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yep. 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 Yes. So great. So that's my number four. And Mike, do you want to bring us into your number three? Yes. I am not going to talk about the holdovers yet. Uh, I'm going to talk about Godzilla minus one. Nice. My number number three movie of the, of the year. Um, And I saw this at the top of a lot of like year end horror movie lists. Mm. And I guess it is a monster. I mean, it is a monster movie and I guess horror includes monster movies. I don't know. I, I, didn't think of it as a horror movie Mm. um but it is far and away the best action movie of the year uh and i'm gonna take a big swing here and say i've never felt anything bigger or more intense in a movie 
than the Godzilla scenes in this movie. And I don't even mean just like it's the biggest and most intense Godzilla I've ever seen in a movie. I mean like it it's bigger than any Avengers movie big. When when he comes out and he um is doing his like flame breath and the spines on his neck like shoot up. Yes. I mean it it feels absolutely massive. Um we can talk about the 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 story and we can talk about the grief aspect of it and the purpose and the guilt of war. Um, because I, I think you guys will talk about it in a little bit. Uh <laughs> so I won't I won't talk about it too much. Uh except to say that the action seems so huge. Every moment, I mean, I was cackling in the theater with glee and excitement because of the action scenes. Um to go a little sadder with it, one of the things I loved so much about it or or, or found to be heavy um, was that the movie is a fantasy that, oh, gosh, I, I, I may be um, out, of, out of my bounds here, but mm. the movie is a fantasy that the Japanese invented um, to feel a sense of a win after the the loss of world war two. I think that's a Mm. lot about what this movie is, right? Like what is the cost of war? What is the cost of loss, right? They they lost world war two. The main character um, is defected. And um, so they, they came up with this movie where, um, I'm sorry to spoil. It's not too much of a spoil to say where like the good guys win in the end. Mm. They they win a war, uh, and they had to come up with this fantasy uh, where they win um, to I don't know to make sense of the the real world loss that they felt in World War II, and it's it's really sad and and also kind of incredibly powerful mm. to watch. I think it, I, I, yeah, I'm going to talk about it later, but I do think that it goes even, even deeper than that. I think it, it just harkens back to like, like today, today, um, (laughs) I, earlier today, I watched the original Godzilla from 1954, one of my all time favorite movies. And like it, this movie, Godzilla minus one just harkens back to that post-war Japan um, just that sense of loss and that sense of not like, like just despair. And I think that Godzilla minus one handles that so incredible. Like the reason it's called minus one is that Japan was at zero after, after right. world yep. war two. And now they're at minus one um, uh, yep, with Godzilla. Exactly. And like, it's, it's just, it's so incredible. It's so incredible. I'll talk more about it, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. My number three. Yep. Tiny. Nice. nice. Yeah. Uh, my number three is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Nice. Uh, for some damn reason, I took forever to see this movie. Um, it was available for streaming for months and months, and I just hadn't watched it. Watched it a few weeks ago, and much like the first movie, I was beyond charmed and fascinated and just into this movie all around. Um I am most impressed by the dramatic moments of this of, of this movie and also the first movie. Um, I, I feel like 
I feel like a, an animated movie can be dramatic. Of course, I, I you know, it's, it's possible. It, Pixar has been doing it for decades. Right. Um, but I, I think, I think the way, what, what impressed me about the dramatic moments in this movie, most notably when Miles Morales is, is wrestling with the idea of if he wants to reveal his identity to most notably his parents. Um, I, I think the performances of the voice actors coupled with the animation, I, I don't, did they do motion capture for these? Do you guys know? I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. It's hard to tell because the character of Miles Morales vis- visually wrestling and 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 physically wrestling with what he's going through is so realistic and just so like you really feel it. Like it's not. I don't know if I'm if I'm articulating it well, but like I, I feel like you know it's it's so it's so grounded and so like. It, it feels so realistic for a an animated movie that there's these dramatic pauses where he's like he's about to tell his mom that he's spider-man right and it's like and, and it's it's so intense and and just the way he pauses and there's these long pauses and he's looking at the ground or he's looking off into the distance being like this is it this is my moment i have to tell her right now and then he doesn't or he you know he's just struggling with it so much it feels so real and it's like it doesn't feel like an animated movie to me um there's several moments like that throughout the movie. Um, Gwen has moments like that. Um, most of the characters do. And I, I, I'm, I'm also just blown away by the world they created. I mean, it's, it's the animation style is perfect for, for a, a, a multiverse. Um, and it's, I can't even put my thumb on it. Like I'm, I don't even know who to give credit to. I don't know what to call it, but it's, I'm just, it's just the spider verse version uh this the spider-verse style animation is just the coolest thing like i i can't get over how visually impressive it is and how perfect it is to 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 show this this universe um multiverse you know it's it's, it's just really incredible i i can't i can't get over how good these this movie is like and how how good the series is because i i it's just so unexpected for me i i, I really and again, I, I don't know what I was thinking putting this movie off for months and months like mm-hmm. I did because I knew I was going to love it. And I, 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 I can't decide yet if I like it more than the first one. I really, I'm going to have to watch both of them again. But I, it's, it's just such a, it's such touching character work and such amazing animation. The voice work and performances are top notch. I, I, I'm just, I'm just blown away by what they achieve with the Spider-Verse movies. Um, I, I, I can't wait. For part three, I wasn't thrilled with the ending, but I really, I ended up not minding it. Um, I, I won't go into details, obviously, but um, yeah, I, I just, they, they, they cannot, no one could possibly do a better job with these movies. They're just, they, they, they borderline on perfect. And it's, it's, it's some of the best the MCU has to offer. Well, it's, I don't even know if it's not even, it's not even considered no, it's, MCU. Uh, it's just, it's yeah. Marvel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's some of the best that Marvel has to offer, and it's not even in the MCU, is what I was yeah. trying to say. Um, so yeah, I if you haven't seen them yet, get off your ass and go see them. They're incredible, <laughs> and and this is another spectacular entry uh, across the Spider Verse for my number three. Is that what we're on three? Yep. Yeah. Well said. And I regret not having it on my list. It's on my honorable mentions. Um, 
Yeah, what are you doing? Man? I know, yeah. I know. It kind of came <laughs> yeah, down. This and Scream Six. We've done, I know. A, we've done a lot. I don't know that we've done a whole lot of uh, convincing Matt in the past that his. Uh, <laughs> he uh, should have had yeah. some other stuff on his list. This I know. Interesting. Yeah, it, what Spider Man? It came down to that or Guardians uh, for my number ten spot. Mm. Um, wow, but wow, yeah, wow. yeah, okay. but it, it's great. It's fantastic. So yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh yeah, I should probably bring my number three. Then. Right. Um, uh, my number three was a movie that I reviewed in episode four hundred five with uh, my friend Sam. Uh, Dream scenario. Uh, Nicholas Cage is outstanding. He plays this uh, kind of just mediocre man who finds himself becoming literally the most recognizable and most. Um, interesting man on the planet and the way that the movie just delves into that and and uses that as a way to just explore something not necessarily sense uh, his sense of identity but his sense of desire in wanting to be more than what he is um it's an incredible piece of work like it's it's incredible because the premise alone is interesting it's about a man who suddenly is in the dreams of everyone and it's how the world reacts to him popping up in their dreams and what i find so fascinating and so interesting about it is that from the outset like he is asking people like he's he's a professor he's asking his students like what am i doing in your dreams am i am i doing something interesting is like what am i do am i am i like like am i amazing or something and like at every turn he's it's monotony it's him not it's him just being there and i think that that is such a great jumping off point for the story because it's about this man reckoning with the idea that you know he's not spectacular he's not anything you know, unique or interesting. He's just a mediocre dude. And it's just so interesting and it's funny and, and a little bit heartbreaking in several points, um, where it's just, he's struggling to do something with this phenomenon and it's just not working. And there are plenty of, uh, um, uh, statements and, and, and subtext involving like internet culture and, and cancel culture, all of that. But that's all secondary to me to the character, character arc of, of Nicolas Cage's character. I think it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. And it's something that the movie does not get mired in the concept of like the dream world, uh, or, or the phenomenon, phenomenon of him appearing in people's dreams. It's just, that's a vessel to tell the story about him. And it's, it's phenomenal. I, I absolutely loved it. I wish I would have seen it again before recording, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. Dream scenario, my number three. Yeah. I watched that one. Uh, Hmm. it didn't make my top 10. It felt like a, like a perfect, um, Wednesday night movie to to watch with my wife. Kind of sure. kind of weird, kind of quirky. Works on a deeper level. Um, I'll, I'll probably watch it again. I I liked it a lot. I really liked uh, Nick Cage's performance, but uh, did make my top ten. Nice, nice. I didn't get a chance to, but I really want to see it. Nice. Yeah, I think I think you'd enjoy it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, top two, Mike. Do you want to uh, hit us with your number two? Yeah. So uh, 
the week or so after I saw my number two, um, it slid into my number one spot for mm. a little while. Uh, and then I rewatched my number one, which was the former another number one, and I put it back in my number one. Uh, but my current number two is The Holdovers. Nice. Uh, and if I could be bombastic again, uh, Divine Joy Randolph probably gives my favorite performance of the year. Uh, yeah. There is a moment in the middle of the movie when she says to Paul Giamatti's character that everybody should be with their people on Christmas. Mm. Uh, and I think that that is the central theme of the movie, which I believe is about three lonely characters trying to find uh, their people in life in in different ways, right? Yeah. What, what I think is so cool about it being a Christmas movie is it's like the perfect kind of backdrop for that type of a rumination. So not only does it hit the nostalgia that you're talking about, but it doesn't focus on that nostalgia. Because I, I think this, uh, Christmas is a nostalgic time for everybody in good ways and bad ways. Like we're, mm. every year at Christmas, you're thinking about Christmas's past. Yeah. Um, and so the holiday itself is kind of a bit of a Rorschach in that it can be the most wonderful time of the year for some people, but then also the most stressful or frustrating or downright lonely. And mm-hmm. and um, not that the movie is about like the spirit of of Christmas or anything like that. It's it's hardly even about Christmas, but it is about that type of. Um, it's asking us to be nostalgic for our own Christmases uh, and the past, whereas the characters themselves are also nostalgic. Maybe not for their own Christmases, but they're thinking of different times because the time they're in is is pretty mm-hmm. miserable. Um, and they just go to a Christmas Eve party and talk and have moments and drama. And I was just like, man, there there are not enough period movies where people are just sitting and talking to each other on mm-hmm. Christmas Eve in interesting ways. Um, I don't know. So many of the movies on this list have incredibly rich and complex and timely themes or uh incredible filmmaking and action um or over the top whatever um this is like the anti oppenheimer um <laughs> and i just thought it was a powerful movie and it's mm-hmm. a movie i i i've thought about a lot since i saw it uh and might make its way in my um annual christmas watches nice yeah when you said that christmas is the time where people think about Christmas's past and everything. I, I wanted to say, yeah, and sometimes these asshole ghosts show up and show like Christmas uh, yeah. past, present, future. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it just, oh, I, it's going to be on rotation for me to rewatch. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's so good. So good. Same here. Yep. Yep. Uh, Tiny, you're number two. Uh, it's, Poignant that uh, Mike said holdovers is the anti Oppenheimer because Oppenheimer is my number two movie of the year. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, so wait. Do we have all? Has anybody had an overlap at all? For I don't the, think or, so. No, like, no, we, no. I don't think we have had any movie in the same spot. Nope. At no, all. We have not. That is. Which might be a first. Maybe. Cool. Yeah, I feel like that be. has to be a first. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Amazing. Um, so yeah, we, you know, you guys have already talked about talked about Oppenheimer. I, I won't I won't beat it to death. We all know how great it was. Um, for for me, I I think 
the opposite, not necessarily the opposite of Matt, but uh, antithesis of Matt. I still hold uh, Christopher Nolan in, in such mm-hmm. high regard. I I feel like he's, you know, I, his movies over the last decade or so have not fallen off for me. I, I think I think they're fantastic. I, I love them all. He's one of my top five favorite filmmakers. I, I am such a big fan of his. Um, but I do agree with Matt that it it was a a, a new step for him. Mm-hmm. I fully agree with that. Um, I think this movie, and I said it when the movie was over. I think uh, I was talking to Matt and uh, our friend Ben in the in the viewing, like when we were in the lobby after the movie. I think this is Christopher Nolan's strongest script he's ever written. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I was blown away by it. I I, I this this is also you also have to bring up the runtime of the movie. I think that's, that's notable. Killers of the flower moon was a little bit longer and, you know, three and a half hours. Oppenheimer was just about three hours. Killers of the flower moon was too long. I felt the time really, really wore me down. Oppenheimer. I, hell, it could have been longer. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was in, in, just enamored by the fact that 180 minutes are, fully utilized every single minute of that movie is poignant and it matters and it affects all the other minutes and it just it every piece of this movie was important and nothing could have been taken out it was it, it did not feel like three hours at all to me i i was i was just on the edge of my seat the whole time and and it 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 was so thrilling for a non-thriller movie you know i i i was just just blown away by the ability of the script and the structure of the movie to be so powerful at every moment. And, and I, I, I've, I've maybe never seen a movie like that before. You know, it, it did not, did not drag anywhere. Uh, and, and that completely surprised me and, and blew me away. I was expecting it to be, I was very intimidated by the, three-hour runtime especially on a tuesday night i was mm-hmm. like god damn it this is this is rough you know i'm going to be getting to bed after midnight on a tuesday night that's rough but i could not have been more happy leaving the movie theater um and of, and, and of course everyone's talking about killian murphy you know i we we i think the three of us uh i don't want to speak for you guys but we've been big fans for decades oh yeah uh, I, he's oh yeah been on my radar forever you know i i and that's the thing like i think one of his most famous roles is probably peaky blinders and i've never even watched all that I uh, haven't either. <laughs> it, it's like what he's known for most and it's funny because i haven't even really seen it and yeah. uh, it's it's kind of funny so I, i'm glad to see that he is truly blowing up right now uh he has a good chance of, of winning an oscar and um i th- that's all incredible i loved all the other actors robert downey jr it's so great to see him uh show his age a little bit, you know, we, we he, he's, he's Iron Man and that's mm-hmm. how we all look at him and we should, and I love him for that. And I will always see him as Iron Man, but this character is such a departure from that. I, I think the casting of him in that role was borderline brilliant because mm-hmm. we just, that, like they just rip that image of Iron Man down and we're all like, okay, this is, this is a different Robert Downey Jr. here. And to see him in that role, he was phenomenal. Again, I hope he gets nominated for an Oscar. I I, I loved him in that role, um, and 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 I think Matt had a good point about the the female characters, mm-hmm. uh, especially um, Florence Pugh's character. I I think, yeah, she clearly is, was a was a pivotal person for uh, 
Robert Oppenheimer in real life. Um, but just the, the way the character was used, I feel like was a little clumsy at times maybe. And mm-hmm. um, I wasn't sure what influence she had and, and it wasn't always super clear. Maybe that was the point uh, of the character, but um, yeah, I, I think that, that, that could have been slightly done slightly better. That's one of my mm-hmm. only criticisms. Um, and yeah, sorry, I'm kind of dragging on here, but the, um, the last point I'll make are the, the visuals were great. You know, they didn't use like a second of CGI in this whole movie, which is incredible. Um, but for me, the, 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 the technical standout was the sound. You know, we, we had yeah. the pleasure of seeing this in a true IMAX theater and the sound was earth shattering. I mean, it was incredible. Like, especially the, the bomb scenes were, yeah. were amazing, but there was, um, you know, kind of the, after the successful test, I want to say where they're all celebrating in that gym scene. Oh my it's, God. It's yes. Like, like a whole, a whole second explosion. Mm. It's ob- yeah. arguably more, more poignant moment than the actual bomb test was that. And I was just like, that's was, was unexpected and, and such an incredible, uh, fully technical journey of a scene to go through, you know, really impressive. Um, the movie all around was impressive. I, I just, I loved it. I think I think it's going to be one of those movies that's going to be on a lot of, um, you know, top one hundred of all time lists. I, I think I think it's going to make that. I think I think this movie is going to stand the test of time, and it's going to be something that people talk about in film classes and stuff like that. Not not necessarily because it's better than other movies, but because it's such an achievement. Um, so yeah, number two for me is Oppenheimer. Nice. Yeah. Well. Well said. It's. Yeah, it's amazing. And that that gymnasium scene just Yeah. Whew, in, incredible. Very cool. All right. And so I am going to drop my number two on you guys. Um we have talked about it already. Uh I did an immediate reaction in, on Patreon and I re- reviewed it in episode 396 of uh the Obsessive Viewer with my friend Andy. Uh it's Barbie. Um, I loved this movie. Greta Gerwig takes that vision of like, like she takes what could have been just a, uh, an IP, uh, the Barbie IP into that meta humor, uh, kind of like, like it evoked to me a lot of like the Brady Bunch movie, which I love. I adore the Brady Bunch movie. Um, but it has such strong statements in the movie and it makes those statements so clearly and it is so beautifully done and beautifully demonstrated. There's that scene where she's on the the bench and she looks at the woman and says that she's beautiful and she just says, I know. And it's like that beautiful, like, like commiserating about a shared experience that these two are having as women. And it's, it's a beautiful sentiment. And I really appreciated also the way that, like we talked about before, the way that it goes into like the male, the male identity as well. And that toxic masculinity poking fun at it. And it's just, it's so, it's so much fun. Mike, you said that, (laughs) I can't remember exactly what you said, but you said that Ryan Gosling is like a treasure and like, he's the best thing that ever happened. Yes. He like, I, every interview I've seen of him, uh, like for this movie, is just like he's Ken personified. He's just so he just seems like so good, um, and he is brilliant in this movie. As is Margot Robbie, and like 
there's a scene where she's talking to Rhea Perlman at the late, at the end of the movie. And it's where, uh, Billie Eilish's song comes in. And like each time I've watched this movie, it's like gotten me very choked up and teary eyed because it's such an interesting, just movie where it's about self-actualization, self-realization about like where you are, who you are, your identity in the grand scheme of things in like a, in a culture that has preconceived ideas of what you should be. And it's such a powerful statement to have this journey for both Barbie and Ken to realize like their potential as, as people, as beings rather than what they, what they should be or could be. And I, I love the, I just love everything about it. (laughs) It's amazing. It was my number one for a long time. Um, but it's, it's fantastic. I absolutely loved Barbie. Nice. Yep. Love it. Very cool. Yep. Yep. Or in another word, it was sublime. Um, as Ken <laughs> says, but anyway, I, I loved it. I loved it so much. Uh, so that's my number two and shall we do it? Sh- shall we share our number one go. movies? Movies of the year. Yes. Mike, will you do us the honor of sharing with us your number one movie of 2023? I would love to. My favorite movie of 2023 was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, nice. big surprise. A Spider-Man movie <laughs> is my favorite movie of the year. I love comic books. I love Spider-Man. I love comic book movies, but Man, these Across the Spider-Verse, these Spider-Verse movies are just doing something else entirely. Uh, the first one, and especially this one, are unmatched in the scope, ambition, creativity, originality, and fan service. It's like all you want from good animated comic book movies in one uh, melting pot together. In a, an amazing... Uh, experience a fun time a feast for the eyes action-packed entertaining uh and imaginative to watch it's like you've never seen an animated movie like this and it's just such a fun thrill ride to watch the entire way through if you're a fan of spider-man you'll love it if you're a fan of spider-man lore there are there's an easter basket full of eggs uh, that will keep you entertained all the way to Easter, cracking open these eggs. It's just everything about it works so, so well, and it's so much fun to watch that I think even if it didn't have some of the things I'm about to talk about, it would still be in a top 10 of the year just for sheer entertainment value, spectacle, and uh, imagination and originality. But what I love so much about this movie and why it's clearly my number one uh, is how timely it is in terms of the American experience uh, and the immigrant and children of immigrant and minority experience in America. So the Spider-Verse movies, and especially this one, I think, is about um, uh, storytelling and uh, the especially minorities' stories, or at least the stories that are uh, written about them and written for them. So I think a common criticism of this movie is that it's like part one of two and it doesn't really end. And for Miles, I completely agree. It is half of his story. In fact, the movie ends at like his inciting incident. Mm Mm-hmm 
What I think is cool is that Gwen has an arc in this story and it opens with her story. So it's like this movie, you get an entire story arc of a main character. It's just not Miles, it's Gwen. Um, and we can talk about the politics of that, that it doesn't actually focus on our black and Puerto Rican main character. Um, but I still think it's interesting that we get a, a character resolution in the movie, even if it's not the character front and center on the poster. But when we're talking about Miles, uh, the story is about how people have been writing his story his entire life, both in his real life and as a superhero. And this is not me. This is not subtext. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm not teasing out the the subtext of some uh, political agenda. I'm trying to force. It's literally text in the movie where he's sitting in the counselor's office and she's making up this story of their lives. Right, that they come from poverty and they um, had to cross the border. And his mom is like, I, I was born here. And the dad is like, oh, we own a really nice house and I'm a captain. Like you are making up this story even in your um, seemingly altruistic and positive, helpful way, you are actually hurting the stories that we're trying to write by forcing your idea of what my story should be upon me. So he takes that frustration in his real life into the multiverse. He battles some bad guys. He faces up against uh, Miguel O'Hara, who has his own story, uh, and realizes that there are stories in our lives. There are there are destinies that we're supposed to follow. And if we don't follow those destinies, the entire universe will be destroyed. And Miguel says to Miles, you have to listen to me or you're going to destroy everything. And he goes, he literally says, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> and I, like saying that out loud right now gives me chills. Like watching him take ownership. That's not the climax of this movie. It's, it's the inciting incident of his story, right? It, it's like he's making this new journey for himself where he's like an anomaly that shouldn't exist you like being half black, half Puerto Rican, the counselor thinks he's this anomaly that shouldn't exist or needs to be dealt with. And so by him taking back his story and saying, no, I'm going to do my own thing. He's like paying off what happens early on in the movie. Um, and it's, and it's, it's minorities saying enough is enough. Stop telling our story. We're going to write our own stories. Here we go. And so he has to face down uh, his own story and, and essentially write the ending to his story. What's interesting is that the, the obstacle in the next movie uh, has their own story. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to say too much, but um, so, I, so I think you get both with this movie. I think you get the entertainment value of a fun blockbuster popcorn and candy movie with lots of colors and action and flashing lights and brilliant animation. But you also get a super timely story about Miles Morales that continues the theme of anybody can be a hero that the first one established. And so that's why I put it over the holdovers as my favorite movie of the year. I I just think it's more important right now. Yeah, I totally get that. Damn it, I should put it on my list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I Mike, really need Mike, to watch it again. 
Mike, you're so good at that. You're so good at talking us into regretting yeah. the stuff on our list. <laughs> oh, no. Every year, I feel like that happens to me. Mike, mm-hmm. oh, Mike has Mike has one of his his spiels, and I'm like, damn it! I know. I I, I get on my soapbox. I appreciate that. I'm just. Yeah. I guess I'm just good at convincing people. Mm. It's it's fine. Yeah. Like like what you like. I mean, whatever you liked is what you like. I think that's a more pure v- yeah. version of your list, mm-hmm. not what you would come up with because. I rant or whatever. So yeah. uh, that's, I, I mean, I'll take that as a compliment. But yeah. I, your your oh, list I meant, are just I meant as it valid. as one. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I meant you. it as yeah. one for sure. Thanks, yeah. man. That's kind of one of the reasons why I'm always been, I've always been a little resistant to the idea of like revisiting past top tens because like, yeah. There are some like terrible things on mine. Like 2013, I had some that I, I, I have not given a second thought to. Right. But yeah. I like the idea of a top 10 list being a timestamp of the time that we're in. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, well said tiny. What is your number one movie of 2023? Uh, my number one movie is one you guys have already talked about. It's the holdovers. Nice. Uh, Yeah. Awesome. Good. Good. God, I I just love the movie. And, and I think it's, it's for multiple reasons. I, I loved what, um, I can't, sorry, I can't remember which one you said it, but it was, you were talking about how the movie's not about nostalgia. Was that you, Mike, who said that? I think Matt I said think we it, both but I kind of said yeah, it, yeah. but I kind of doubled down on it. Okay, I hadn't even thought about that when I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, "You're right." You know, I, our, our culture right now, especially online culture, is so much about nostalgia and BuzzFeed nostalgia. Like, oh, you remember this stuff from 1994? Like, and yeah, I kind of like that stuff. It's kind of fun to revisit, but it's not very. Um, it doesn't have any legs. It's not something you think about the next day. It's very flash in the pan and. uh this movie's not about nostalgia at all. It just happens to be set in 1970. I think, I think it's a good time to set the movie because I feel like the backdrop of the Vietnam War is, uh, it lefts, it leaves a lot of stuff unsaid that doesn't need to be said. I think, um, and that's a powerful tool as, as narratively, it's a powerful tool. Um, so I think, I think that's a good idea to set it in 1970. Um, but you know, like you guys said, it's it's about the people. These three characters that uh, cover such a wide breadth of human experience. I, I think it's early on in the first act or two. It's so fun to see Paul Giamatti and Dominic Sessa have this seemingly silly argument against the against the the experience of Divine Joy Randolph's character. She's like. You know, she has to be thinking in her head, what the hell are you guys arguing about? Why are you so upset? Like, I lost my son to a bullshit war, and you guys are mad that you're stuck at school. Uh-huh. Like, you know, and it, it, it's it, it's so, it's such a uh, poignant thing to watch and a kind of fun thing to watch. It's also sad, of course, but um, then we get to the third act and we find out that these two characters have giant chips on their shoulders and they're going through terrible things as well. And, you know, it kind of reinforces the idea. You never know what someone's going through until, you know, you actually get down to the core of them and, and they, they, they tell you or you, you make enough of a connection to, to, to have them trust you and tell you, hey, I'm going through this awful thing too. And maybe it's not the same thing as you, but it's really affecting me and it's awful. And I don't know what I'm going to do either. You know, I, I, I just loved the juxtaposition of all of that. And it's, 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 I think Mike talked about how it's it's a simple movie, but there's a lot of these complex themes that go bounce off each other a lot, and it's 
it's easy to understand. It's simple, but it's mm-hmm. also uh, it's just complex ideas. And it's not something you would necessarily expect. Um, all three of those main actors should either win or definitely be nominated for Oscars. Um, and, and I, I think it's, I, I'm just sitting, I, after I watched the movie, I was like, okay, which, who, who's my favorite? I, and it's hard as hell to pick. Um, Divine Joy Randolph, never seen her in anything. Um, Paul Giamatti is just a classic actor. I adore the man, been a huge fan for years. Um, but for me, I, I, Dominic Sessa is, is the standout and I, he's, he's who I'd love to see because I, maybe he's cause he represents the future and mm-hmm. you know, uh, like kind of like the point Matt was making earlier in, in our episode that who knows what the future of movies is going to be like, um, mm-hmm. because of yeah. the economy and all that shit. It's a whole complex issue, but, um, it's refreshing to see such a talented young actor, um, absolutely going pound for pound up against Paul Giamatti, yeah. uh, and and still having the ability to stand out amongst a titan of the screen like that. At least that's what I would consider him. Um, so he he's kind of my standout. But the three of them were just so incredible. I, I just I I'm so floored by great performances. It it can make a bad movie incredible, and and or at least make it memorable. And uh, you have three powerhouse performances in this movie. So. Um, just an incredible, incredible movie. It's, it's, it's classic, but complex at the same time. It's, it's, it's fresh, but it takes place 50 years ago. You know, it's so many great things all at once. Uh, easy choice for, uh, my number one movie of the year, the holdovers. Nice. Well said. That makes me super happy. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm glad one of us has it in there. That's awesome. Oh, me too. Me too. Awesome. Well said. Uh, so now we have come to my number one movie of 2023. Uh, here we go. It's Godzilla minus one. Um, That's my top three. Yeah. We, we have my top three. (laughs) That's so cool. I love that. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, this movie was just incredible. And, and one of the things that it, it kind of bothers me a little bit and I don't want to be negative right off the bat, but, um, Something that kind of sticks out in terms of the reactions to this movie, uh, it's like a common thread of people saying that like, oh, I can't believe I cared about the human characters in in a Godzilla movie, or I can't believe that a Godzilla movie could make me cry. And like, that's true. That's what this movie does. It has a very good emphasis on the human characters. It has very emotional stakes, very emotional consequences. And it tells a very emotionally charged story. The issue that I have is that just I've like Godzilla as as a property has been doing that for decades. <laughs> like like the original Godzilla movie is one of my favorites of all time, and it includes like a scene in which, like following his attack on Tokyo, there is a scene that where the film lingers on a Geiger counter being read on a child and beeping very loudly. And it lingers on that. And I'm just like, if you don't feel emotion in that, or if you don't remember that, then I don't, I don't know what to tell you, but like that. And then there's another scene in the original movie where, um, a woman is clutching her two children and saying, we're about to, we're about to be like reunited with daddy. We're going to go where daddy is now. And it's like, it's, it's, heartbreaking but godzilla minus one does similar things and has similar stakes it is um i'm probably going to get this all wrong but what i understand is that obviously like legendary has 
Godzilla rights here in the States. So they have the legendary verse or whatever, um, the monster verse that we have here, um, including Godzilla, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Kong versus Godzilla, all that, uh, Monarch, the new show on Apple TV plus. Um, but this is a Toho movie. This is Japanese. Obviously it's from Toho studios. Um, they will come out with a Godzilla movie every now and then the most recent one before this was 2016 Shin Godzilla. I didn't see it, but I've heard great things, but Godzilla minus one repositions it. It makes it post-war Japan, immediately post-war Japan. And it does such a, an, an amazing job at painting just the despair of the people of Japan following the war. And what I loved is that the protagonist of the movie is someone who has this immense guilt, not only has immense guilt over not being someone who could, was capable, found themselves capable enough to fulfill their, uh, their kamikaze mission, but also the way that the people around him shame him for that and see him as cowardly and how the entire movie is built around him trying to redeem himself for something that is so, um, it, it feels very Japanese, very part of their culture in, specifically. And it's something that really, really resonated with me as someone who is not Japanese. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm American dude, but like the fact that I could be so invested in a culture on screen. It's like that. That's like I'm pinpointing exactly what the magic of movies are. It's what Ebert said. It's empathy machines. But the way that it tells that story, and the way that there's that recurring, uh, the recurring line about how everyone is still fighting their own war, and how they're they band together to t- try to take down Godzilla, is just incredibly emotionally charged storytelling. And in addition to all of that. Like Mike, like what you said, the action, the destruction, the force of Godzilla is astounding. Yeah, Absolutely crazy. astounding. Um, it's horrific. Uh, the the Ginza set piece where he destroys Ginza um, is like, like there's, there's a moment at the end of that set piece that I won't give away anything, but it shocked me. Like I gasped in the theater and I was just like, this is an amazing movie. Um, not to mention, uh-huh. not to mention that the the soundtrack is amazing. It includes several instances of like old Godzilla music cues. Like that Ginza attack includes uh, an iconic piece of music from Mothra versus Godzilla, I think, or Godzilla versus Mothra. I might be transposing those, but um, and then the original the original score for Godzilla comes into play at, at one point as well. It's just it is. It is a a beautiful, beautiful, just uh, sci-fi horror action movie, basically um, monster movie. It's it's phenomenal, and and I love it. It's Godzilla minus one. I can't wait to watch it again. I really wish I would have uh, made the time to go see it in the theater again. But it's it's my favorite movie of the year. Godzilla minus one. Man, that's awesome. I really want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> 
cannot yeah. argue with that. I I we I think we say this a lot, but like in a different year, I could see it being number one. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I mean the the human story as well as the mm-hmm. depiction of Godzilla himself. Yeah. Um, excellent, excellent, excellent. Movie. Yeah. And Such like a surprise. Oh, a oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's one of the, my favorite things about doing what we do and everything is that like. I had no idea that Godzilla minus one was coming out. I had no idea. Like, yeah, right. it's, it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome that not on my yeah. most anticipated of the year. No, and it, no. And I, you, I heard great things and it just, uh, it totally yep. paid off. Yep. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, those are our top 10 lists. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh good year very good year for movies um yeah, great year one of, great. one of the better years in in a long time yeah I, I, like i actually struggled uh with the bottom of my list mm-hmm. to, to which which should i include oppenheimer was on there for a long time yeah it's it's the strongest post-pandemic year um yeah easily. for movies yeah oh yeah so the the past couple of years we've been or i don't i can't remember when we started but we've been doing the thing where we kind of pick an official ov podcast yes. top three Yes. So look, I'm looking at our lists, mm-hmm. and we could. So all three of us have a different number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do that. Yep. Yep. We could also do like Un- what, what? Unfortunately, what, you guys. I don't think you guys have Spider Man on. I don't. I don't think we can no. include. Is it? Is it? Well, I in time. It, is it holdovers? Barbie. Uh, holdovers. Godzilla minus one and Spider Man are the top. Are our number ones? Correct. But then, like. But, what, what appears on all our lists? Yeah, we all have Barbie and we all have the holdovers, but that's it. Like, so what's number three? I, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, right. Like, it could it could Damn. be Oppenheimer. It could be Spider Man. It could be Godzilla minus one. Like, I, I don't know how we. I'm not sure how we pick it this year. Ugh, um, yeah, me neither. I would. I think say... we. I think we could all agree, or at least I could concede that the holdovers is our collective favorite. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I think so. Right. Yeah. It, it's the. It gets the. Uh, the obsessive viewer endorsement as the collective movie of the year. I. I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm good cool with, that with that too. Yeah. Do we want to just say that that's the movie of the year for the obsessive viewer? That's the OV movie of the year. The all holdovers. right. Nice. Love that works. Nice. Awesome. And thank you so much, Tiny, for pointing that out because I, I've kind of completely spaced that part <laughs> of the podcast. I've been thinking about it the whole time. How the hell are we going to pick this? <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, that's a tough one. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, but also going back to talking about most anticipated movies, since we have talked about our top 10 lists, uh, we're going to wind down. We're almost done. Um, Tiny is about to turn 37 in 37 oh, yeah. yeah in 15 minutes um oh, yeah. but, uh, uh but what Do you say that as like a like a we're almost done just <laughs> yeah. stay, stay with us yeah. <laughs> i've just been very conscious of the time because like i know i know mike you have a two-hour delay at work tomorrow Ooh, it's late yeah it's tiny late. i know i you have you have a big boy job <laughs> uh yeah so anyway so we're pushing midnight here but anyway uh 2024 movies we're looking forward to and um mike do you want to get us kicked off with with uh, any movies that you're looking forward to in 2024 sure looking forward to dune part two uh loved the first half uh i am looking extremely forward to robert eggers nosferatu oh yeah uh, I love Robert Eggers. 
Uh, and then the third one is a little tough because Ty West and Mia Goth's Maxine, oh, yeah. uh, except that uh, uh, Mia Goth is in the news for kicking an extra in the yeah. head and going on a bit of a diva tirade. Mm-hmm. Um, so that bums me out quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's one of those ones where, I don't know, I, I mean, I'll probably see it, but um, it'll definitely be tainted by... Yeah. Knowing that, I'm just so curious to see the fallout there. That mm-hmm. sucks. That sucks that she's not a cool person. Because uh, yeah. I love X and I love Pearl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my number one most anticipated would have been Scream Seven, but yeah. It, did Beyond the Spider Verse get pushed to 2025? I think it did. Yeah. Okay, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are your most anticipated movies of 2024. Tiny. I can't believe I'm going to say the exact same thing I said last year, but what is your most anticipated movie of the year and why is it Dune Part 2? <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously Dune Part 2. Can't yeah. wait. Um for so for all the reasons <laughs> we all we all know. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. a big fan of the books and everything, so can't wait for that. Uh but then also kind of a close second Deadpool 3. I mean, Oh, nice. I Oh yeah. Adore the Deadpool movies, like they're just so unbelievably funny. Like I watch them, I rewatched them like a week ago. Yeah, I um, saw that. <laughs> so really looking forward to that. Um, and then I don't know that I have a third one really. I mean, Twisters, Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I don't know. A Gladiator two. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I, I I mean, they're question marks in my opinion. Uh, we'll we'll mm-hmm. see. But uh, I'm 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 cautiously curious to see what happens with those movies. Nice. Um, yeah. I've got a few on my list. Uh, Abigail, which is, was just recently announced. There's a trailer out. I haven't watched it, but it's a radio silence movie with uh, Melissa Barrera, a ballerina ghost story or something like that. Um, yep. Looking forward to that. Um, there's a VHS sequel coming out on Shutter later in the year, presumably. That is supposed to, I think the announcement said that it's going to be more kind of sci-fi horror, which I'm very pumped for. Um oh. Despite the trailer being a little bit, mm, a little bit concerning, Alex Garland's Civil War. Very curious how that's going to be. Um, Ooh, yeah, that's more curiosity than excited. <laughs> yeah, something that I've seen talked about is like it's the trailer makes it look like the like left wing equivalent of like uber conservative like yeah movies then yeah. <laughs> i'm like yeah that i hate so much that that is on point um but it was just announced that there that danny boyle and alex garland are working on 28 years later so oh yeah uh-huh. yeah i just right. i can't nice. yeah yeah when we were talking about killian murphy like like 2004 i saw 28 days later and he was on my radar from then um yeah. But Civil War, I'm curious and interested in. Uh, Twisters, I'm excited about. I love the first movie. Um, Dune Part 2, of course. And then, hoping that this gets a release this year, I presume that it will, but Mike Flanagan's The Life of Chuck. Um, I adore that novella so much, and I think that it has so much potential to be a a top-tier King adaptation, especially with the Prince of King adaptations doing it, Mike Flanagan. Um, 
So yeah, so those are my those are my ones I'm looking forward to. Um, we are continuing to be weekly on the podcast, so we're going to be covering as many of these movies as possible. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. This is like the twelfth consecutive week that we've had an episode, and tomorrow I'm recording episode four twelve, um, and then next Monday I'm recording episode four thirteen. Um, so yeah, big big Very cool big times. Um, nice. the, yeah. The the final thing I want to bring up is, are there any 2024 viewing goals or things that you want to emphasize in your movie viewing for 2024? That can be numbers, that can be specific like genres or filmmakers you want to explore. Um, anything that you have on, on your mind going into 2024 with movie watching. Anything you guys got in, in, in the hopper? Yep, I'm just trying to hit 200 again. Um, kind of a, a always goal of mine is to watch old horror movies. Nice. Um, and stop buying Blu-rays and DVDs that I don't plan on watching that night. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh, Tiny, any any goals or projects or things? I re- really just to can, just to try to be better. Try to try to see more. <laughs> try to see more uh, relevant movies from the year. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, that's that's about it, really. I, you know, uh, I didn't talk about this year about the fact that TV is more of an emphasis for me. I did mm-hmm. watch a lot of TV this year. I still watch a lot of shows that come out every year. I, I so it's I'm more of a I'm still an obsessive viewer. I still consider myself an obsessive viewer. It's just movies have kind of taken a back seat. So. Um, but yeah, just, just try to be better. We'll, we'll see what 2024 brings. Yeah. Well, and like, I've, I've always been at least in the last several years, I've always been just like it, we watch what we watch the, I think that what we bring to the table is like eloquently speaking about the movies that we enjoy. So like, yeah, yeah. Like you can watch 84 movies in 2024, but we can still spend three hours, three and a half hours talking about them. Uh, no matter what. Um, but amen to that. Yeah. Totally. And, uh, it's funny because the whole TV thing also is that letterboxd is apparently later this year going to implement television into the, into the site. I don't know what that's going to look like. I hope that it's oh, not God. bundled together, but yeah, I don't yeah. Worry. I'm not sure if I want that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. My best case scenario thought is that it's going to at least like the only thing that I want, the the main thing that I want is that I want it to be separate from movies. Like I want it to be a thing where like, if you look at your stats, you can differentiate between movies and TV. That's the important thing for me. Um, so yeah, so we'll see what it, what it does, but as for me, uh, viewing and, and goals and emphasis and everything, um, <laughs> uh, I've mentioned before, I am such a, such a, such a goober for the Criterion channel. Now that I have the, I have a, an annual subscription. So I have one year, I have a list on letterbox where I'm tracking everything that I watch for that year. Uh, d- like it's called one year of Criterion channel, December 24th, 2023 to December 23rd, 2024. <laughs> um, it, has 24 movies on it right now uh so i and that's something i'm really excited about because i am i keep doing the math and like i keep thinking about how 20 30 years ago we had blockbuster where we would spend three dollars four dollars to have a movie for three nights and then return it and like 
I like the cost of the Criterion channel. The way the cost to me was a hundred dollars. And in, in less than a month, I have watched enough to where it averages out to that total price being about $4 per movie. Um, I just think that that's kind of fascinating. I don't know. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but once again, thank you so much to, uh, to, to Carol for, for facilitating that. But, um, that is my main goal to kind of track that. Uh, my other goal is obviously, uh, as I said before, going weekly with Obsessive Viewer, an, an Obsessive Viewer episode every Thursday that I can manage it. That is the goal. And I'm very excited to to do that and hopefully be able to... Um, to, to grow the show as well. So that's always, that's always on the back of my mind, but I'm, I'm making an effort this year. So, uh, so yeah. So if you're listening to this, if you enjoyed it, subscribe, uh, uh, rate us all over the place, Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, audible, uh, and write a review and everything to, uh, to help support us. And if you feel like, uh, can, uh, donating, uh, check out Patreon. Um, I have a whole thing. So, uh, before, before we get to the actual end, is there anything else we want to say, uh, to close out 2023 on the obsessive viewer podcast? I don't think so. No, good year. Love you guys. Yep. Good year. Yep. Yep. Always a blast. So, uh, thank you guys for. I have a whole script right now. This is going to sound so just red because I'm reading it. But anyway, <laughs> thank you guys for another year of supporting the podcast. There's going to be a lot of podcast content coming your way in 2024. Of course, the obsessive viewer isn't all that we do. You can check out my solo podcast anthology where I review the Twilight Zone and other sci-fi anthology shows, and you can hear Tiny and myself and and frequent guests as well on Tower Junkies talking all things Stephen King. And finally, as I said throughout this episode, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of exclusive episodes on our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And you also get early access to episodes um, uh, each week now. Um, You can also find an archive of all of the stuff that I did in writing and podcasting in 2023 at obsessiveviewer.com slash matthurt2023. And if you'd like to check out the stuff I'm doing throughout 2024, you can find that at obsessiveviewer.com slash 20 or slash Matt Hurt 2024. Jesus links to all this is in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to start playing us out once again. Thank you guys so much for uh, listening and thank you guys for joining me on this. And, uh, and, and it's always a blast and I can't wait to do more podcasting with you guys uh, uh, for, for many, many years to come. <laughs> so yeah. <sighs> all right. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. Yes. Thanks for keeping it going and doing all you do, bud. For I sure. Do what I can. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon exclusive feed. For this and more exclusive content, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Those are my podcast stats for 2023. The overall stats are uh, total number of episodes. I had 35 episodes. That doesn't include the submitted for your approval episode that I was a guest on. Those are just my podcast episodes. 35 episodes that totaled out to two days, 12 hours, 15 minutes, and five seconds of content on the main feeds of the podcasts. And so, yeah, that's the two days, two and a half days worth of audio. Two and a half, like, here's the thing. If you listened to every episode of Obsessive Viewer, Tower Junkies, and Anthology, I was in your ears for two and a half days. 
And also, I spend two and a half days of my life talking into a microphone for podcasts, uh, which is just a crazy thing to, to think about. And that's not even the most that I did or anything, because now we're going to get into the Patreon of it all. And here's the thing that kind of seems like it is a trend with me with Patreon. So... um. This isn't a goal that I set. This is just how the chips fall. This is how things go. It seems like consistently, year after year, I record about twice as many things or twice as I spend as I spend twice as much time recording Patreon content than I do recording main podcast content. And that's because I love doing Patreon stuff. It's stuff that I do by myself. So it's a lot of a lot more frequent. And it's stuff that isn't, it isn't a, oftentimes it's not full fledged episodes. It's a lot of like immediate reactions and and things of that nature. So I just, I don't know. It's just weird how it just shakes out that it's usually twice as much as, as on the main feeds. So Without further ado, let me go into my breakdown of Patreon content in 2023. Uh, that is it for my Patreon stats. The All told, over the year, over 2023, I released 155 episodes on Patreon. And that totaled out to four days, 19 hours, 21 minutes, and 59 seconds. Which is insane to me. Insane to me. I... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just so thrilled that I have, uh, like I say this all the time, I'm so thrilled that I have a platform to do this kind of thing. Cause I really love doing this, but also the fact that like you listening to this, you're willing to give me money to do the thing that I love to do. And that is incredibly meaningful to me. It is something I am so incredibly grateful for. And I mentioned this in the, in, in, uh, the next. Episode. Thank you for listening to the obsessive viewer podcast. This episode was produced and edited by me, Matt hurt. If you have feedback thoughts on our reviews, or just want to connect, you can email me at Matt at obsessive for more information on all of our shows, including a full archive of our episodes and show notes, plus plenty of written reviews, visit obsessiveviewer.com. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a follow on social media and subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Also, consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible to help increase our visibility and help grow our community. If you want to support the show and help keep us going while getting early access to new episodes as well as a steady stream of exclusive content, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Our theme song is A Little Mad Sometimes by As Good As It Gets. For more of their music, check them out on Spotify and at asgoodasitgetsmusic.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.